Hello, this is Grace Hayes, and you're listening to Up in the Mix. Hey, this is Mark with Magpie Coffee Roasters here, and we are up in the mix. I'm up in the mix. Up in the mix. Up in the mix. Thanks for telling up in the mix. This is up in the mix. Welcome to another edition of Up in the Mix, coming to you hot from various locations across the world. This is Sean, a.k.a. The Truth, a.k.a. The Super Nicest, a.k.a. The Nar Mr. R. This is Caesar, a.k.a. De La Foto, your favorite neighborhood Mexican, Ernesto, Captain Culo, Coach, Mr. Brunch, or Loco, also that boppy with the bad body, the brown man in the yacht club. What did he get here? Uh, El hombre de la gente, the habitual line crosser, the fucking honey badger, the baby whisperer, and tracksuit boppy. Welcome to another edition. It's been a while since we've done this mm-hmm. with quarantine and everything going on, but uh, it's good to be back. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, it's good to see uh, uh, faces, like adult faces, and hanging out and doing other than just chilling out the house pretty hard and then working from home as well. Yeah, what have you been doing during the setup for your summer or summer break? <sighs> I've just been working from home, saving up a lot of money. Uh, dreaming about traveling <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know just saving up money hanging out with the baby and the lady and just you know just uh focusing on you know because we got some stuff coming up with up at the up in the mix so we are grinding along so it's good nice yeah what about you sean just uh, been doing like a lot of home improvement projects uh, you know, the new house, getting stuff set up and dialed mm-hmm. in and I don't know, just playing video games and being bored. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you could do. Like, yeah, <laughs> I definitely stream a lot of, I watch a lot of shows. Like I smashed out, I think Big Bang Theory has like 12 seasons. And I think I did it in like a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, and all the new ridiculous. stuff, all the new stuff that comes out. I just stream it right away and watch it and you know because like me doing photos on the side um just slow down a lot you know i had like a wedding yeah. kind of like change from like a big wedding in san francisco to um just like a small wedding with like their parents and things like that just enough to um constitute like a little wedding or anything like that and do i did maybe like a portrait session and that's about it everything's slowing down which is like not that you know, it's not that bad. It gets more time for me to relax and focus on things, read some books, hang out with the baby and the lady more. Yeah. Well, for those of you listening, we are going to be focusing on, you know, with things going on, like current events and things that affect us here locally in Reno and around the world. So this week we have a panel of teachers here to discuss what's going on in the education system as school gets ready to start back. And, you know, we got some local teachers and then a couple of teachers who don't teach here can give an outside perspective of what it is like looking at, uh, you know, teaching and all this craziness. So go ahead and introduce yourselves. 
um, just say your name, what, like, like what you teach and how long you've been teaching. We'll start with Ian, since you've been on here the most, Mr. Watson. All right. Um, so I'm a third grade teacher currently at Rita Cannon Elementary School. Um, this will be my seventh year, I believe. I was trying to do the math, but yeah, <laughs> I taught second for three years, and then I'm going into my fourth year and third. Um, and yeah, I was a substitute for six years before that. Um, so I've done a lot of things in the education realm. That's a lot. To cover that? Yeah. All right. All right. I'm uh, TC Calhoun. I am teaching in Denver at a high school teaching biology. This is my eighth year teaching and 10th year in education. Uh, Dr. Jenna Martin, I am a first year assistant principal uh, this year at a 612 uh, school in Denver as well. And I've taught uh, mostly the middle school level, uh, social studies, language arts, uh, English language development classes. Uh, this will be my 13 year in uh, education. Uh, I'm Samantha Russell. I have been teaching children or working with children for about 14 years, but this is going to be my ninth year in the district teaching pre-K. Um, and hopefully I'm Nevada's 2020 teacher of the year. <laughs> yeah, nominated for teacher of the year Ooh, currently. Nice. That's so rad. So I'm the second best teacher in this house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good, though. Yeah, it pushes me to do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to handle pre-K. That's probably tough. <laughs> <laughs> Griffin, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. As a side note, um, my laptop is not connecting to the internet, and so you don't have video for me anymore. But here I am um, for clean cut referencing. My name is Griffin Peralta. Uh, this is my third year teaching. I'm at Wooster High School in Reno, Nevada. Um, so I'm pretty new at this game, but I have a lot of big ideas. I'm finishing a master's in critical pedagogy right now. And that's my logline. <laughs> Griffin was also a practicum student of mine when I was at trainer. This is true. This guy taught me how to do what I do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about all that, but... <laughs> Griffin's also, Griffin and Ian are also great poets. Oh, yes. And this is my eighth year teaching and my 14th year working for the school district. I'm at Washoe Inspire now. I'm teaching uh, six through 12 social studies. Right now, yeah. So right now we've got 14 students enrolled. So going back to school doesn't affect me as much as it affects the rest of you, but yeah. we'll get to that in a second. Um, just to start off, we went over with your background. Um, what was distance ed like for you guys teaching in the spring? Um, I taught sixth graders and it was pretty miserable. Uh, the turnout and the quality of work was subpar, um, but also I didn't have a lot of control because I was at a charter. I didn't get to make the lessons or put out the work that I thought would be effective. So I thought the kids got buried um, and then they just quit. So, and they knew that their grades didn't matter because we put out a statement right away saying their grades wouldn't go down. So they just <laughs> stopped working right away. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, for myself, uh, well, you know, the district rolled out those packets for the kids to work on. And uh, so we weren't really responsible for checking those um, or doing really any work with them. But I would have a meeting twice, twice a week and um, probably got like seven kids at aver on average um, from my class of 19. Um, so it wasn't really required for them to show up, but I just made myself available for hmm. two days of the week and tried to go over some of the stuff from the packets um, and just kind of some other teachers would pop in like the music teacher and um, counselors and stuff would pop in and do little activities. Um, and that was about it. I mean, I don't know if the kids got much out of it, but you know, that was about it. I feel like I became more of a social worker than a teacher because a lot of it was mostly for my students being so young, it was checking in on their family and making sure that they were food secure, making sure that if someone in the house lost their job, that they were still okay with paying their bills. And if not, how I could refer them to different resources. So it was really flexing a different muscle for sure. And you you met with your students because I saw a couple of times yeah. a week. Yeah, yeah, I would call the families once a week and then we would do like videos and stuff and Zoom and again, yeah, with four-year-olds on a Zoom call. It was literally kids sitting upside down like, you see me? Like, yeah, we can all see. We all know what you're doing. That's the power of a video call. But, uh, I mean, it was entertaining and it was at least like I got to help them maintain their friendships, if you will, in a way, because they were just so excited to see their peers that they were missing from the classroom. So it was still meaningful, but much less meaningful, I would think. Hmm. Jenna, what about you? Yeah, I would say, so I was in another like kind of admin role. I was a dean of instruction for the last couple of years at my school and the inconsistency between, sorry, I should be inside. Uh, That's awesome. The inconsistency across the board um, was I think just difficult, right? The level of engagement, um, that students were able to put in based on all of their experiences and the, the level of engagement that teachers could depending on their situations as well. Um, so I would just say, I mean, people say that the spring was really crisis teaching and learning or pandemic <laughs> teaching and learning. And that, that really was certainly the case. It was last minute. It was let's throw everything we can um, at it and let's just see what kind of sticks and what, what works. Right. My experience, uh, because my school, we use uh, Edgenuity uh, already for, for our teaching. So it was pretty easy transition for us to, to go online because the students already were using it. It's already completely online. But uh, the population of students I deal with, we don't have very high participation as it is when they're in person. So I think I had around 20 students I was responsible for and they were supposed to make contact with me once a week and less than half of them would do that. Even if the contact was just talking on the phone or like responding to an email on Ingenuity and very, I did have probably four or five uh, earn tons of credit. I had a couple even graduate. Oh, dang. So that, that was cool. But uh, the, you know, especially the younger kids, the middle schoolers, there's just no, engagement and like they, uh, none of them were even in remotely interested in doing a zoom like a weekly zoom call or like getting together that way they wouldn't even respond to my emails or talk to me on the phone so it, it you know it just to me whatever pro like the students who are already engaged 
were going to be engaged and the students who weren't weren't going to be this the way it rolled out but what would you guys say were the biggest problems with the way distance ed was handled in the springtime um so like it sounds like i had a really similar experience to a lot of the people here like we had like canned curriculum that was put out to us that we were like required to issue um and so i would say that like that was the biggest issue with it i also think it's the number one thing i think we want to think about when we're trying to delineate between what happened in the spring and distance learning like I, I believe in my heart that distance learning that is content that I made myself and like put together with my students in mind um, is something that would A, be more effective and B, get more student engagement. Because I personally feel like my students have a really great bullshit detector. And when I put bullshit in front of them, they're just like, nope. And I don't even blame them for that. So I feel like, like if, the, the if they're- made. Right, yeah, exactly, right? Like when you hand a 100-page packet to a student, like I wouldn't have done that either. And that's very different than like, hey, you know, this is something that my teacher made and is expecting me to interact with, and they know. So I think the biggest problem was that, yeah, it's like kind of canned prepackaged curriculum that they made us all do. I agree with that. And the, the packet, it was a like a blanket approach, so it was one and it, some of them were like banded grade levels like I think I heard that the middle school one was a six through eight so it didn't matter what grade level your student was at like they got the same packet so it wasn't at their level it wasn't geared towards them or what they were doing in the classroom before we closed so it was yeah just total busy work and bullshit yeah ours was like three through five. Um, I, I think it was differentiated a little bit though um, from what I saw because I was working through the packet. But yeah, I mean, it just, I was just trying to stress to the parents, like just keep up on their reading and practice multiplication and division. I said, you know, if they go to fourth grade, that's, they need to, you know, have their literacy skills, you know, have them write a little bit. So I told them, you know, you don't have to follow the packet. It's a good outline. There's some good practice if the kids are capable, but I know some of my kids couldn't you know, do that work. So I just uh, emphasized with the parents that wanted to be involved during that time to um, just work on the things I knew their student needed work on. And I think that was the most important. And just trying to get a hold of some parents too was a challenge. Um, you know, just making those calls. And, you know, I had one student I could never get a hold of and just a weird situation. I don't know. Um, How disheartening was that, you know, when you're calling these families multiple times a week and you can't even get a hold of them and you're trying to teach their student? Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, is I use Class Dojo and, you know, that's, I think if they don't want to talk on the phone, it's just like, please be connected to that and just like answer my messages and my, you know, communication through there. I, I emphasize that so much. I'm like, you just have to drop a line once a week and say, things are good. Uh, don't need any help, you know, and if they can even do that. And it's like, sometimes they would even see the messages. Like I could see that they saw the post <laughs> And they wouldn't respond. And I was like putting in like bold letters, please respond. Let me know you're seeing this. And they still wouldn't. It's like, come on, you know. Did, so. did any parents reach out to you guys and be like, hey, what could I do to help my kid? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not overwhelming, but um, I was met with some great parents and then some others. They were just like, yeah, stop calling me every day. I'm trying to get them up. They're sleeping in. So um <laughs> my school tended to stress like the daily check-in more than like the quality of work. And that was kind of what bugged me. Um, we also gave the answer key to our packets so that there was like 
some help for kids who had IEPs because we were worried about um, staying in compliance of their IEPs and things like that. So we just gave the answers and I just got straight copied answers all the time. And so the quality of work was really low. Um, the engagement was low, but I hopefully it'll be better this time. The problem is I don't know my students like I did in the fall. Um, I'm building all of our relationships. I'm trying to get to know students online right away. And I know it's going to be a challenge. What kind of supports did your schools have? I would just say like my school in particular, and I don't think um, our district really had packet work up and running and ready to go in the spring. Um, our decision to kind of go remote was, it felt a little last minute. It was like, oh, we're going to go on an extended like two week spring break. And then it was, oh, we're not coming back. And so then it was a lot of our teachers really created their own material, which I think definitely helped students stay engaged. Like we had an English teacher who um, folded in like different podcasts, like the serial podcast and like would tell her students, like, if you can, like, go for a walk while you listen to this, like, to try to get some activity. Um, and I, again, like Ian was saying, like, or maybe it was Griffin, right? Like, if you're able to create your own material, you know, your kids and you know what might be engaging for them. But this other idea of students, like we, we certainly had families too that we were not able to get a hold of. And it's, it is really disheartening and it's really worrisome. Um, and we had, you know, a, a school psychologists, we had counselors, we had different people trying to reach out. Like did your schools have those types of supports kind of as well, or, or maybe not so much? Um, we did. Um, the, I think part of the problem was we kind of took a blanket approach with the charter. We have a lot of new teachers, so we kind of just wanted to help all them. And they hired a group of teachers to work on that two weeks of extra spring break. We have to start building a curriculum and it was good. It was better than probably I would have just built, but I would have built it with my students in mind. It was more detailed, but again, we can't give tests. Um, part of charter schools is having mastery assessments like every day just to see where they're at. And it didn't really work um, on the online format. So we had to pivot a lot and they supported us really well, but it was just a lot for sixth graders. They just got buried. And I think like what we're doing this semester by only having students take three classes at a time and taking the whole year in one semester will help because then they're not taking six different classes and worrying about six different lists. Even though the class is gonna be very quick and very hard, I think um, they have a better idea of how to manage that this time. Yeah, I think uh, like my school, we were trying to do a lot of IEPs and just scheduling those. Again, the population we deal with isn't representative of the population as a whole, but it was a struggle even to get uh, students involved or, and parents involved with that. We had our social worker, you know, trying to hand deliver devices to students and still like couldn't get parents to cooperate, you know, coordinating the delivery of devices and trying to get, make sure they had, uh, you know, access to the internet and access to the curriculum. But I think the biggest problem was that, as usual, they didn't trust teachers to do their jobs. Like, Jenna, it sounds like your district allowed teachers to create curriculum, but I thought that was the biggest mistake was that they didn't allow us to make curriculum and deliver it to our students. They tried to do this one fits size fits all, and they couldn't even do it by grade level. So what did you guys think uh, were ways that they could improve distance ed if they decided to go for it You know, this fall semester? Um, well, I, I think it'd take a lot of meetings with your, you know, well, elementary is different. So like, you know, with grade levels, we would have to meet 
probably and have some kind of um, cohesive, um, you know, approach to it to where we're all on the same page and the kids are getting kind of the um, similar, you know, um, curriculum. But, you know, we just rolled out that new ELA curriculum in elementary. Um, so we were still in the midst of learning that. So that, that was a challenge. And we, we didn't get proper training on that either. So it was difficult to navigate through that after getting the math curriculum a couple of years before that and still getting used to that. So um, I just think with all these new curriculums and this hitting at the time it did, we, we're not even that comfortable with understanding, you know, what we can do with those curriculums. Um, but there are some good online resources, but I just think, you know, it would take some time for us to meet, develop something. But I think we know like the main things that the kids need, like I said, reading, writing, multiplication, and I mean, if we just focus on ways to do that, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really know where to start with that. Um, you think if they, you know, allowed us to teach our classrooms remotely, that you could get that collaboration going that you need with your, with your like team members at, at the elementary level, so you guys could be on the same page and maybe make some better uh, work, you know, work for your students? I think with my team, yeah, I, I just think there's two other teachers, we, we get along pretty well. And I think we would be able to figure out a way to meet and collaborate and um, roll something out like, uh, you know, but I do agree that it, it should be the teachers that put together what's best for the students instead of these packets and, you know, those don't do anything, you know, so, um, but yeah, I, I do think it, it's important to collaborate and um, have control over what you know your students need. And with like uh, the teachers leading everything, I think it does co somewhat come down to the teacher and how much work they want to put into it. Some teachers also were busy watching their kids. So I know the quality of their work probably went down. Um, but just like any high school or any school, like the quality of teacher really does matter. And you're going to get some teachers that put in that extra work and make really great lessons like with podcasts and try to bring in the technology in a good way. And then you have other ones that are just going to give packets but I think the district giving just flat out packets for everyone to give feels like that bullshit that Griffin was talking about and kids see right through it. And it's like, and it's boring. It's, it's just like, it doesn't, doesn't engage at all. And so do parents. I had a lot of parents telling me like they didn't want to go pick up the second or third round of packets and it wasn't worth anything. So I just told them, okay, don't, <laughs> you know, like I can't sit there and in good faith, tell them that this packet of information is going to be the best thing for them. Um, and for my, like, I'm in a separate department within the school district. And so my department did work hard and I read the packet. When we first heard about them, I was worried thinking like worksheets are not developmentally appropriate for young children. This is not the way to go. And then I read them and it was like, a menu of choices of hands-on active outdoor activities that children could do with their family members. So it was developmentally appropriate and it was geared to be removed from the table where they're just working on something. Um, so that was better than I expected, but it was still not what I probably would have done. Um, but I also talking to other teacher friends, there was a lot of discrepancies depending on the on the school you were at and the principal you had. Like I know some elementary schools had a principal that told them they needed to be on a Zoom meeting that was open for their contract hours or for, you know, for their school day hours. So they needed to be online available for students to answer questions like bell to bell 
And there'd be days that nobody would come on that Zoom meeting, so they, but they had to sit in front of their computer in their house, you know? And so for parents who, or for teachers who were parents, like how you can't do that, you know, like that was difficult. And then just, what is that really doing? Like, you're not a operator essentially for the parents. Like that's not what we're supposed to be doing for distance learning. So I don't know, there's, there's a lot of ways that it could be better. And I think, yeah, giving teachers the freedom to teach their students the way that they know how, even if it is new students that you don't know, you can at least anticipate with the age group or with the you know student population that you have, what's going to work for them, what won't. And then you get to build that relationship versus you just coaching them through a worksheet. Yeah, I think, I think if I, like, I was getting excited uh, uh, thinking about how I would do distance learning given my like the ability to design it and do it all on my own and I think a lot of teachers you know have the capability to use technology and really make I think you can make a really fun engaging curriculum using what we have at our disposal already especially for us you know like T I know TC and Genev I have a lot of experience using online teaching because you know when we were at trainer together we use Google Classroom and all sorts of other tools online. And I think that would be really engaging to students. But uh, I don't know, you know, what other things we could do. Do you guys have any other ideas of how they could improve on what they were doing? Um, it's, it's tricky. I think doing less subjects I think is key. I don't think they need to get all the six subjects and we need to focus on the basics and just kind of limp through this time. Um, I know it's not the quality education that they're gonna get, but I mean, coming back to school, I think the quality of education is gonna be horrible too because the stress level that kids are gonna be in. So it's kind of just like, and it sucks to say it, but it's kind of like we can do the best we can online. And that's just as good as being in person for this year. Cause I think the stress level that would be on the kids if they were in person would just like, I know it's going to make me a weird teacher just like constantly like, Oh, stay away from them. Make sure face mask on. So I, the ways to make it better is let the teachers take control of it and let us have the online platforms that we need and ask for. So I know a lot of teachers are paying for the upgraded Zoom on their own so they can do breakout groups and things like that, so. What do you guys think about the lack of trust in letting teachers do this on our own? Do you think that just goes to the overall lack of control that you have in the classroom? It, to me, it's just like another hat we have to wear. Um, we're constantly asked to do above and beyond of just educating and it's fine because I want to help the whole student. But again, it's like micromanaging and nobody wants to work for a micromanager. And then when you have the general public being your micromanager and voting on this and yelling at school board to make sure this gets done, it just, you just get bogged down in all like the little things and not getting to know your students and doing your job the best you can. I really feel like that lack of trust is part of like an ongoing effort to deprofessionalize teaching as a profession. I, I see uh, the idea that we need to be handed pack at work being part of like um, this idea here that we are easy to devalue, right? Like as part of this whole thing, right? Where we're in right now, we're going to be sent back here kind of like service workers 
Um, and that whole concept of us as like not professional labor, but as like um, like fodder for an institution seems to go hand in hand with this idea that they don't even trust us to make our own content. And that perpetuates this idea that we're not experts, that we're not professionals, that we're just, you know, chum. Yeah, it seems kind of insulting that instead of just trusting us to be able to handle this on our own and let those who can do it, do it, and those who need support ask for it, that the districts decided on their own just to you know, do this top-down approach of packets and giving you little choice on how to teach. I think it's interesting that it was mandated for your district. So like our, we've got, again, it's a larger district. So we've got, you know, departments of curriculum for all of the different subject areas. And those departments had been, you know, working on things to try to provide support. And some of that could have looked like packets. Um, and I think I'm curious to see the new teachers that were or the fairly young teachers or new to teaching in your previous school. Like, I wonder if they found those materials helpful like, I think it's twofold. Like, I definitely understand, like, the deintellectualization of, like, the teaching profession. Um, it's not a new concept <laughs> um, at all. Uh, Henry Jura wrote a really awesome book <laughs> about teachers as intellectuals, if anyone has read it. Um, but I do wonder, too, it's like a, I think it's almost a byproduct of such a large system, right? Like, how can you, quote, unquote, try to at least put out a, you know, minimum of what needs to happen um, when you have such a large um, organization. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's 100% right all of the time, but I do wonder if anyone found them them useful. Well, um, I think with the pack, I, you know, I kind of understand the district doing that. I, I don't know if I was really looking at it as an insult. I think when I was I'm thinking about it is the ability for the student population to be able to attend um, teaching online. And I think they kind of put that into consideration that not, I know my population, like based on the amount of kids who showed up, you know, like not even half of my kids would show up to teach. So like if I'm busting my ass and trying to figure out a way to teach, and this is during the pandemic, I'm not saying moving forward. I think moving forward, definitely we need to have the, the um, power and um, the lead to do our own thing. But I think during the pandemic, when it hit, I wasn't horribly mad because yeah, it's like uh, some of our students don't have devices. Some of them have brothers and sisters that are in high school that need them more than they do. So they're sharing and there's just a lot of um, inability for these kids and families to access or have the discipline for their kid to sit in front of a computer for six hours and depending on if the parent's working or not. So I just think like a packet in that sense was kind of like here's something we're giving you know material for students to do if they can't even get on the computer at least they have something to work on at home so i kind of see that approach as kind of a like an emergency idea but um they should not do that if they wanted to move forward into um, a new year and that you know i would hope that wouldn't be the plan i, I think that's what you're trying to say you know but um at, at an elementary level, just the responsibility of little kids and even their parents is, you know, there's there's really not a lot of responsibility. So high school kids are more self-managed. Mm -hmm. But um, when you're dealing with an elementary population, um, I think the, the packet idea wasn't like horrible. I'm glad you, you brought that up because we're gonna circle back to that because it kind of just 
makes existing inequalities in the education system all just amplifies them already. So we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to ask you guys, what did you miss most about just teaching normal teaching in normal circumstances? A lot. <laughs> um, I know for me, because for our district, it, uh, we left the last Friday we were at school was the Friday before spring break. So we left with the idea knowing I wasn't going to be back in this room for two weeks anyway. And then it just became, I wasn't going to be back until blank date. Um, but I know for me, there was a lot, like it was, it was hard to explain what was happening to my students with them being so young. And then on top of it, it was hard for me because I was so excited for what we were going to do to end the year together. The last half of our year, I had a, a practicum student who had this huge project planned. We had, you know, like community visitors planned. We had all these big things that I had been waiting for to give them that autonomy to get them ready for K-12 and all of these things that none of it got to happen. So that was really, that was really hard for me to try to explain to them that it was going to be different. And then their next experience in the school building would be completely different with new people, new faces, and now new procedures. Yeah. For me, the things I missed were like the day-to-day, -day, just seeing kids smiling, having fun. It's really hard to just keep throwing work at kids and not seeing like them actually learn and having discussions and having those eureka moments. Mm -hmm. um, the day that really hit me hard was the last day of school. Normally that's like a awesome day and I super enjoy it. And it's like so fun to see them go. And it's like, it's bittersweet. And like this year it just kind of like it ended and it was done. Um, so that was a weird one. And I did so much work with these sixth graders to get them to like mature and like be responsible. And they were getting there and we were making progress. And then it just like, bleh. so that was like the real bummer of switching to remote learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was my favorite year to date. So I just, it was a bummer because I had a really good class. So it was just, I enjoyed going to work every day and I wasn't really bogged down by like, you know, behavior. I had one kid who, you know, was a challenge, but uh, I got an email during break that he was going to leave the school anyway. So I was like, geez, like, <laughs> what sailing, man, I would have got so much done. We would be having class party. It would have worked you know, out like, in your benefit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I and I, I, I really like that kid. I mean, he was a kid that I, I could work with and I, he was intelligent and um, I was really working hard to just kind of try to, turn him around so like I mean I don't want to talk ill on that kid because he was like my project kid and I really was you know happy with the progress and the relationship we had but I just knew like if he left like my I would have just been able to just cruise through because my kids were so well behaved I've never had a group that well behaved so I just kind of but yeah everything everyone else mentioned is just the, the the teaching aspect of seeing kids getting it and just the end of the year all the fun stuff that we do we usually have like a soccer game we play soccer against the um fourth and fifth graders and you know we have a cool like talent show at the end of the year and just you know the, the end of the year is fun you know i mean it was like downhill once you hit spring break it's like testing and then everything's kind of downhill it's like the best part of the year and you know the weather's getting nicer and you're just like getting excited about summer and you know there's just all these feelings you're having of like the anticipation of finally getting that freedom and with all this freedom we've had i'm like ah oh, this is this is not that great <laughs> you know i can't go anywhere i can't you know freely go while out somewhere <laughs> or something you know Ian, you don't wild out anymore anyway <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, once, 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 once a summer, I do. You know, there's a one day or so, yeah. maybe two days. 
I haven't seen Michael K in years. Nah, yeah, and I miss him dearly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you miss the most, Jenna? I think just working in a, I mean, I, I think like everyone else, but working in a 612 is just really fun, right? Like you see <laughs> such a span of development um, and just different, you know, ways that, that kids can engage and act and things like that. So even like the mundane things that I typically don't like, like, you know, hallway duty or lunch duty or things like that. Like, you know, I'd go in, I'd walk around, I'd say hi to all of our students, some basic sign language to, to some of our deaf students. You know, I'd sit down and I'd turn around and, you know, one of the high school students would be sitting and wanting to have lunch with me. Like that type of stuff was nice. Or I'd post up in the counseling office to try to get a few emails done and get to engage and kind of joke around with, you know, some of our seniors. Um, so those types of things. Like we had a, what did we do? Kind of socially distant graduation kind of mid-summer. Um, it's obviously not the same, but it was good to, good to see everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got into the profession because we enjoy being around <laughs> students. And, you know, when that's taken away from that uh, interaction, it, it's difficult. But, you know, sending some emails, trying to check in with, with kids um, during that time was also really nice. Yeah. Griffin, what about you? You know, my, my answer is not very different from one here. Like she just said, I feel like a lot of teachers get into this because they're like people, people. Um, for me, like I was thinking while um, like you after you asked this, mostly about my clubs. You know, like I host a lot of social groups in my classroom for various reasons. Like, and so like knowing that those like clubs and groups um, were kind of dissolving was a was kind of a sad thing for me. The number one thing I missed was really the ability to like foster like community or like safe space in my room. I would say. How do you guys feel about returning to your classroom now for those of you in Washoe County? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, <laughs> I just don't see how teaching is going to be possible. I mean, the, the virus, like, you know, the kind of being freaked out about that is one thing, but just, just with the um, limitations that are put on us and what the, the protocol, I just, I don't see how any effective teaching is going to happen. I mean, they, you know, they emphasize group work, partner work, small group interventions, you know, just everything I I'm picturing that I do in a day to day is close quarters, group work, you know, um, and it's like, okay, so I'm just going to be in the front of the room and just, just blabbering and here's your work and good luck. And I'll see if I can be around to help, you know, like, um, for those who follow me on IG, I, <laughs> I posted this yesterday and I, I'm not playing. I think I'm going to just have like a space spaceman suit and just go in there and character and just like, you know, just have a helmet and stuff and make it, I mean, for elementary school, Hey, maybe it'll fly. Maybe it'll be a good idea. Make me feel safe, you know, but, um, I can't imagine you that at a high school level, you'd get clowned, but, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a creative way to like approach this. Cause I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even see this work. And I think we'll get a couple weeks, few weeks into it and something's going to happen to where it's just going to blow up. You know, I mean, I just, I don't have a whole lot of high expectations <laughs> for the beginning of this, but you'll be safe in your spacesuit, though. <laughs> I'm, at least I'll be, I'll be having fun, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, I mean, it's a joke that we got to go back. So I might as well treat it as a joke in the classroom. You know, I mean, Have I'll do fun. my best with the kids. Of course, it's for them. But geez, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That is that is also disheartening, though, to think of, OK, so if now we're supposed to go back and I feel like the majority of people don't want to. A lot of people I've talked to want the routine again of going to work and, you know, getting back into some routine of their day, but they don't want the risk. Um, but I, I agree with you, Ian, that I feel like it's going to be two or three or maybe even four weeks and we're going to be closed, which is also like, I, I would rather just know from now today that we're closed and we're going to start at a distance, than start trying to build relationships, trying to, you know, start something positive and engaging and then have it interrupted again. I feel like that would be so much worse. But I feel like that's that's what it's going to be. There's I don't think that there's any way of getting away from that. Do you guys think that there's any way that we're going to be able to go through the school year the next two months with the cases are as they are without closing down? No. That's a scary question, my friend, because like I my head says, well, absolutely not. It'll get so bad that they'll have to do something. <laughs> but all the evidence shows me that they won't. Like the health commissioner sat there and said, hey, the cases are twice what the CDC says you should shut down at. Um, please don't open the schools. That's my official recommendation. And they were like, okay, we're doing it anyway. Right. Do you guys know what is, I mean, has there been plans shared? Like are students supposed to be in masks? Are teachers supposed to be in masks? Like what, what are the guidelines or, or anything that's coming up? So the, the most frustrating thing is that they came up with this plan at the beginning of July for reopening, but the plan didn't have anything, had no provisions or had no plan on what happens if anyone tests positive, what or like how leave would work or anything. It just said that students would have to wear masks and they would have more cleaning procedures in place and that they would be providing masks. And then at the la literally, during their meeting on Tuesday, the governor made a new directive saying that elementary students only had to be three feet apart. And they changed that during the meeting. And so I, like, I don't think anyone trusts the process. Like if they had come out a month ago and been like, this had a super detailed plan, like the NBA or baseball, where it's like, this is what happens if someone tests positive. These are the procedures. This is, you know, this is how it's going to work. I think it would have you know, a lot of people would have been less fearful, but the fact that here we are a week, you know, after the, they had that meeting and they still haven't released any of those details just destroys trust in the system. Well, and then to hear like, you know, they, they made that change, but it's just for student to student can stay three feet apart, but adult to student still needs to be six which yeah, it doesn't make I don't sense. understand that logic. Like, and then my, my uh, for my site specifically, um, my administration was saying, oh, well, that can be breached if you need to intervene for instruction or redirection of a student. And I'm like, so basically you don't care. <laughs> um, but it's hard, yeah, like Sean's saying, it's hard to feel like we're being respected, thought of, cared for, trust, you know, that we can trust them with our best interests at hand when it just, like, you there's just so much that people that, that people in science and everything are saying that 
don't back up what their decisions are. And so it, it's just hard to, it's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> like, it's just hard to move on thinking about it. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about the school board's decision specifically. Going back to what Ian said earlier about the inequalities, you know, that lower income students face, how did you guys feel about the school board using that as a reason to open up schools? Because they were afraid, all of a sudden worried about our low income students falling behind and that's why they wanted to reopen schools, which completely ignores the fact that they're the ones most likely to be exposed to the virus and have the least access to healthcare. How did you guys feel about them like weaponizing that to use as a reason to open up the schools? I don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> They've never cared. Like, and I've been saying it to other people mm -hmm. before, Sean's heard it 9,000 9, times, I feel like already, but they've never cared about childhood mental health. They, and no other decision when they're cutting, you know, counselors, when they're cutting PE, when they're cutting arts and music, they've never cared about how children's mental health plays a role in the school. But now all of a sudden they care about it. That's their reason for returning because children need their teachers and apparently we're unavailable for distance learning. And so, they need their teachers. They need to be in school. They need to be in front of their peers so they don't have the isolation and the detriment to their mental health that quarantine has on them. But they've, mm -hmm. they've never cared. It was just an easy pivot for them, I feel. You know, just like this is, it's always been on the table. Let's just talk about it real quick and show. Mm -hmm. And it's just yeah, to, take, to take uh, the pressure off of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just what Samantha said, it just, I mean, we're, we're already just, uh, we just already lacking resources, lacking funding to begin with, we're already overcrowded, you know, there's just uh, so many problems before this hit, you know, and then you throw this in the mix, and it's like, those problems haven't even got fixed, so like, what do you expect to happen now, you know, like, you know, we lost an allocation at our school, like, at the end of the year in third grade, so, I had to move classrooms to have a bigger classroom to deal with this, you know, and I'm going to have maybe up to seven, eight more students than I'm used to having, you know, it's just like, they don't even address those things. Like what happened when a school got budget cuts and, you know, had to lose a counselor lose, you know, we lost so many important aspects of our school, you know, just important roles, um, you know, because of the funding and then you, you know, it's just like, yeah, they don't care because they haven't even tried to fix those problems, you know? <laughs> so, you know, what, what are we, where are we at now? It's like, geez, all right. The four of us all work at Title I schools. So Griffin, what did you think about that statement? You, you've worked at Title I schools your whole career. You know, I, I feel like it's kind of, um, I feel vindicated because so many of you seem to be in the same position as me. Like, uh, the thing that particularly floored me was that uh, our superintendent, Dr. Kristen McNeil, um, like specifically said, hey, because of mental health of the students, we have to reopen. And like, this seemed like such dissonant thinking to me because they're, they, they're using this like health focused rhetoric for like why we have to reopen, but then they're also ignoring the obvious health risks. They're like, for the first time that I can remember, like mental health is being more heavily weighted or like more heavily validated than I can remember an institution validating mental health as a concern before. And it seems to be like a smokescreen over like physical health. And so it's, 
yeah, it's hard to cope with. TC, Jenna, what do you guys think hearing this as a, working in school districts in, in a place that has similar transition rate, transmission rates as Reno and you guys have done the opposite approach? How do you guys feel hearing what we're having to go through? I am really surprised. I mean, I think in a way that you guys are just reopening or that the school board kind of voted for that. I mean, I would say over the summer, like I've seen lots of different iterative thinking um, in terms of what the district was planning. And, you know, when we ended school in June or end of May to all of the different things in between to get us to this point. And like TC, I think was saying before the, the call started, um, we were supposed to go back in person like September 8th, um, which was pushed back from our original start date was like August 17th. Um, and now the district has even pushed it back further to October 8th. So we'll spend the first quarter um, doing remote learning. And the, the reasoning and the thinking was because of the, the health guidance from the state and because of the, the way things are currently. And so I would say our district seems to be more responsive than it sounds like the, the Washoe County uh, School Board, certainly. Um, it seems like we are taking the, the, the actual health expertise seriously when they're creating these um, plans as well. Um, but we've also had that same statement said about how our students need to, to get back and looking at disparity data and looking at, you know, how we lack, you know, serving our, our students of color and predominantly our African-American and Latino Latinx students um, as a reason why we do need to go back. But then there's that catch 22 where this is a population <laughs> that is also the hardest hit by the virus and has you know difficulty accessing um, healthcare and things. So it's this odd kind of Yeah, for me, like the whole decision comes down to like if I was on a school board, I, I would let other schools open first and I would see what happens. I mean, the risk reward is so much greater. The, if you open up early and it's a complete disaster, it's way worse than not opening. Oh, and it could have been fine. That's why I just don't get them hedging on the safety side of it, especially with the numbers so high. Washington, uh, let's see, someone put out a map um, is New York Times and Washoe County in a school of a thousand people, the first day, seven kids are probably going to show up COVID positive. In Denver, I think it's five based on our numbers. So we're a little bit lower and we're playing it safer. So it just doesn't make sense to me that Washoe County being one of the highest infection rates would take this risk. Why not just wait a quarter, watch other schools jump off the cliff first and see what happens. And instead you're like, no, I want to be the first one to jump off the cliff and see how deep the water is. So the risk reward just doesn't seem like it would pan out. And I, it surprises me that Washoe County did that. And yeah. not even jump off a cliff, but like plan for things, right? So like the, the reasoning behind us moving from September 8th to October 16th was to give our schools and our leadership time to plan what actual in-person would look like. I mean, we've been planning over the summer, but like really when we came back at the beginning of last week or something like that, like it was pretty clear all of the different systems and everything, like it would have been really difficult to follow all of the health guidelines in such a short time to get everything up and running for September 8th. Right. And the ask here is that you are planning for virtual, 100% virtual if students have opted into that, that you are also planning in case we go hybrid and what that looks like. 
and that you're scheduling students in this quarter system that TC was talking about, this like four by four model-ish, like kids take three or four classes per quarter. So like schools have to have all of these contingency plans and they have to be able to, they're calling it move fluidly between them, which is like, even though we've been planning for months, like there still hasn't, I don't think there's enough time to get all of that in order by September 8th. Um, so along with the health guidelines and the fact that we need to actually have a plan, um, I think that was part of the thinking. So I, I don't know, like, are you guys cohorting? Like, what are, what are like the day-to-day -day things going to look like? No one knows. And that's the practical problem is that yeah. elementary schools are going back normal. And then middle school and high school have this hybrid model we're supposed to follow. But there's no, like, no one knows how distance learning is going to look because if we're supposed to be doing distance learning part of the time, but also teaching in person, how does that happen when we have two weeks to plan for it? And then secondly, what happens for teachers who don't, or the teachers who don't want to be in the classroom or teachers who have health risks who put them at an elevated risk for this? So I just think from a political standpoint, it's been complete and utter bullshit and a lack of leadership from the school board. And you can quote me on that because like, you know, I've been reading articles and teachers are afraid to speak out, but like it was an absolute joke what the school board decided to do. It was based on politics, had nothing to do with what's like their, their reasoning, you know, this worried about school, you know, mental health is complete and utter bullshit because they've never before done anything to show that they've cared about that before. And then to use it as an excuse to me is a complete joke. And it just shows a complete lack of leadership they're more afraid of what parents are going to say to them on Facebook and in social media than to stand up and do what's right. And that's what, you know, leadership is about is making tough decisions, even when they're unpopular. And they've proven time and time again, that they're unwilling to do that. They never take a strong stand on what's right. And, you know, the people on the school board, I was shocked by the way some of them voted, but then again, you know, they're in positions of power and facing reelection. And they're, of course, why would they listen to the fucking teachers who are actually out there on the front line? Mm -hmm. You know, you have them making decisions that are completely unenforceable or, you know, how can we put all this stuff in place when they just made this decision three weeks before the school year starts? Mm -hmm. There's no way it can be done effectively in that short of, you know, amount of time. And they have all these other school districts around them in every other state you know, setting examples of other ways to handle this, and they completely ignored that and went with what was the most easy uh, politically. Well, and how, like, Clark County decided a couple weeks ago that they were going to go full distance learning for the first semester, so all the way through the first semester, which is a long time. Like, even you guys said, being through October, that gives you guys, you know, like you were saying, hopefully enough time to be planning and preparing for whatever it might look like whenever, you know, the next uh, stage of it starts. Um, but I, we don't even have to, just because Clark County said that they were doing distance learning for the whole semester, we don't need to follow them. Like, I don't, I was thinking about it. I wondered how much of their decision came from the fact that Clark County already made theirs just out of curiosity. It might not have, but I'm wondering, you know, if they felt pressure that it was either distance learning for a whole semester or full, you know, back person to uh, in-person learning full time or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm like, why, if we in the spring were able to go month by month, why can't we do that again? Obviously, no matter what your decision is, people are going to be unhappy, but 
that that's not different from making any other decision in any other realm. Like no matter what you're doing, people aren't going to like the choice you make. And so I don't know. I, it's not the school district's responsibility to prop up the our shitty fucking economy. Right. It's designed horribly. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not you know it's not teachers' responsibility to go back to work in unsafe conditions because the economy's bad. Like that's not that's not the school the economy's not the school board's responsibility. Like their responsibility is to the teachers and students of the district, and I think that's not what they're taking into account with their decisions. Like parents, you know, like none of us are parents, so it's easy to say, but still, like, it's not our responsibility to provide childcare for, for kids. Like, that's not, that's not what the, the role of school is. Mm-hmm. And like, to list those as reasons as why we should go back is disingenuous. Like, what, what are we really doing? Like, what, it shows you how we're viewed and how we're valued is if that's the, you know, mental health and child care are the two reasons we're going back to work how is that even considered because that has nothing to do with education very true i'm also curious how much of it came from because at least for washoe county and i think all over a lot of daycares stayed open and so i'm wondering if that helped persuade their decision to keep elementary school or to push elementary schools to stay open for full five days um but Still, a daycare, with, a daycare with 20 kids is not the same as the school with 400. No, I agree with you. But the, I mean, there are child care centers that do have over 100, you know, hundreds of students in enrollment. But from what I've heard from some friends who are still in that community, they were limited on, you know, enrollment. So parents, instead of being able to drop their kid off all day, had to switch to a half day model and they, you know, so they could lessen the class sizes and they did what they could to follow CDC guidelines and everything. But even at that, there were still parts of it that were highly suggested, but not pushed by legisl- or by licensure for um, child cares in Nevada. So I don't know, it was just, I just wonder how much of that. And then the data coming from children not getting it, um, you know, just pushed their decision, which when you really think about it, isn't that strong of data to be making a decision based off of. Right. Do they have anything? Do they have like any? Do they have anything in place? Like, say a teacher gets infected, and like she's with a classroom of a bunch of kids, and they're in like the same room together for all day, all week. Like, is that just that class is not going to go to school for two weeks or something? They haven't said anything. We don't know. Try finding a sub. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, who they who they going to put in there? Yeah. No, that's. That's the frustrating thing. We just don't know anything. I mean, you know, I know our admins working on it and the teams are working on it, but yeah, we're going to get information what next week sometime. Sometimes probably like jump into this. Like we know exactly what we're doing. Probably the Friday, the Friday before school, you guys will get something. You guys will get another packet. That's what will (laughs) happen. It's like, (laughs) Oh, go ahead. It's like, you know, they're acting like no one's going to get it. Like, yeah. And like, like that's what it is. And I'm like, that's the, like, how are we sitting here and school starts two weeks from tomorrow and we don't know what happens when someone <laughs> tests positive? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, I just it's going to happen. I remember yesterday about the first, this school in Indiana, the first day someone tested positive. <laughs> yeah. Are they like, just. 
know what's going to happen then. And yeah. then. You know, if it's a high school and you're going to different classrooms and yeah. you're mixing with kids, does every single kid you've been in contact have to quarantine? This is yeah, like, yeah, it's, that- it's like a zombie movie, you know, like one kid's going to get it in the high school and then boom, everybody got it. Then what are we going to do? And that one kid's going to fake his zombie bite and be like, oh, no, I wasn't bitten. <laughs> so. And like they're requiring on, they're requiring self-reporting from parents. Yeah. And these parents are already using childcare as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like, do we think they're not going to send their kid to school if they have symptoms? Yeah. I think they're going to go get tested and risk having to stay home for two weeks. That that also makes me so mad. So many parents lie about, you know, I can like smell the cough syrup on their breath as they walk through my door. And they're like, no, they haven't had medicine. They're totally fine, blah, blah, blah. And that's for the rule that they can't have a fever for 24 hours without medication. Yeah. And like they break that rule. They can't. I, and then yeah. like is school going to have to start early? Because if you got to take everyone's temperature, like they're not, gonna gonna do, they're not doing that. What the? Oh, my God. Because yeah. they don't have the resources to buy everybody a thermometer. Dang, good, good well, thing. Good thing my baby's I'm not going to school. I'm surprised they didn't even require every teacher to get tested before we go back. Oh, that costs that costs money, Ian. That costs money. <laughs> well, and yeah, also you, you wouldn't you find out. <laughs> you wouldn't find out for two weeks anyway. Yeah, we don't. Oh, have, I know. We just don't have the timeline. And more, like, and more than that. Got, Samantha and I got tested two weeks ago, and it took us five days to find out. So yeah, these are how long did it, take it you took it, it took me almost a whole week. Oh wow! Yeah, so what's the point? Yeah, I heard in Florida you can buy fake negative tests or fake uh, <laughs> negative COVID test results, so you can show them to your employer and like get out of quarantine and stuff. Oh, uh, so Florida, Florida! I, I give ours. It'll happen in a week in Washa. Like, so. Oh my god. Uh, well, I think this is a good time to take a short break. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have been um, talking for about an hour. Caesar, you have a song of the week you're going to share? Yeah, song of the week this week. So Lupe Fiasco dropped a like a five-song EP. Um, we played one song on the radio called Dinosaurs. And this week I'm going to do Shoes by Lupe Fiasco featuring uh, Virgil and from Off-White. So um, listen and enjoy, guys. Salud. Yeah, uh, been standing in line since Thursday. I heard a rumor they might be dropping them early. Should have them just in time for your birthday. A relevant holiday affair. Got one of those three leg folding chairs. I am what you call prepared for the camp out. Even then brings the battery power lamps out. Warm clothes, but blanket case it get cold. Corn chips and basic staples to hold. Hunger over till Uber Eats is older. Maybe pizza, quesadillas, and sopa. Got a little cooler with assorted waters and sodas. Cinnamon, sugar coated, mollusk out of the odor. Makes me the envy of the line. If not the enemy, not my energy, I'll be spending plenty of time inside the books that I bought. Got audios and regulars. Quite the party goer and reveler. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, on today's to do list is to design a pair of running shoes. The goal is, as always, in my work, is to add emotion to inanimate objects. So, uh, release day is finally upon us. More celebratory than the former. 
But mixed with bittersweet vibes, most certainly switch to different beats. More police, like Justinian's Byzantinian Christian beliefs. There's a risen rhythm, you can feel it all in the streets, like a marathon or a parade. Poets might want to pull their pins out, like grenades, or, or that motto for a year and a half. And write down all the tears and the laughs. A shot across the bow of the tyrannous class. Quote from man standing on float. The whole event is just biggest fan channeling dope. I mean, one just feels privileged and esteemed, inwardly serene and spiritually clean. Even the line feels like a team, stark opposition to a competition for things. With that, these shoes that we're about to design with words starts with a soul. Not a soul, but a soul, you know. What touches you to earth that's floating in nowhere, the soul. Yeah, uh, we're touching signs of equality to match. White kid at the front, let me go first, cause I was black. Said it was only right. He was used to having head starts his entire life. Maybe it was time to step aside like trilobites. Touching, I never forget it like riding bikes. The ordeal starts to spring feelings like gotten light. Permanent villains go about chilling they psychic fights. Nice, and two a buyer's delight. You limited to two, so that means I'm buying them twice. One pair to wear, one pair on ice. Aftermarket speculation will surely hike up the price. Call that all in the plans. Feeling like Mike with the ball in my hands. Swear to God, it's like the best game he ever played. I get to wear the first pair possibly ever made. What does that soul look like? It's soft to run on, but tough enough to withstand the reality of the ground or the reality of the context we're living in. That's the soul. Let's just call it black. Uh, yeah. I get applause as I step outside the pop-up. The shop resembles the unfinished house he was in before they shot us. We fell down, then we got up. Pick pock up, pick nip up. This the type of tripping that scuff kicks up. Traditionally, creases was a style to refuse. But now they represent every mile in your shoes. Any mud on your soul gets towed and removed. It's like I'm retracing every trial, know it took strength. Giant steps, flowers growing out of the footprints. Liberation. Here's your invitation, it's a relay race, continuation. Get the baton and keep bringing it back. And strength every means will keep being attached. Last thing, this is something of a sight. Even when you take them off, they keep running for your life. You know, can withstand multiple beatings by the ground, but it's tough enough to continue on. That's the soul. Now there's an upper on top of that soul. The upper is made of leather, or maybe knit, or maybe both, you know? That sole and that upper combined by stitches leaves for a dynamic enclosure around the foot. There's a tongue, there's even shoelaces. You know, those shoelaces, they are literally as elastic as a rubber band, but as tough as links of steel. Call it chain links. So here we have the shoe taking shape. There's a logo on the side. Fill in the blank of your favorite one. 
they're all man-made. It's all good. But this shoe, these Air Amads, or these Air Aubreys, are starting to take shape now. You know, they connect man and earth. They allow you to run. That running is freedom. Accelerated heart rate by design, through design. Error Ahmad. Error Aubrey. What color are these shoes? The upper of these shoes. Maybe white, maybe black. Pick your favorite. But, you know, the world's black and white anyways. So might as well limit the whole color palette to that. Signed, Virgil Abloh. In quotes, of course. Oh yeah, there's a red zip tie on this thing. It makes it our own. It's tied into a history of art that's now. Copyright 2020. Welcome back. That was Caesar's Song of the Week by Lupe Fiasco and Virgil Abloh Shoes. Yeah. Um, First of all, I forgot what a good storyteller Lupe Fiasco was. Yeah. The last couple songs. The, the dinosaur one's great, especially, you know, all the kids loving dinosaurs. Like, it's a, it's a good storytelling song. But this one, Shoes, like, you know, at the beginning, he talks about, like, you know, like, potentially, it's like back in the day where it was, like, potentially a song, uh, not a song, a shoe could get released. So people are, like, camping out and, you know, like, ordering food and, like, having people there and talking to. And it just slowly develops. And it has quotes from Virgil Abloh. Abloh, I forget how to say his name, but the guy who does Off-White and intermixed in the song. And it's just, it's just awesome, especially, like, me, I love shoes. I've been buying shoes during the quarantine, you know. I know you've been buying some shoes lately. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple. I got like five pairs during the quarantine. <laughs> so I can't believe I haven't. You know, I haven't been wearing shoes. I feel like that's why I haven't bought shoes. I have. I haven't been wearing them either. But I've been stocking them up for when it's time to go out in public. Be flossing, pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so let's let's finish up this interview with our panel of teachers yes um let's change the subject and be more positive why did you guys become teachers the money no i'm just joking (laughs) um is it the fame did you do it for the fame fame. um i became a teacher i you know after college i i I didn't originally go to college to be a teacher, and I didn't really know what I was doing. Hard say. Graduated, <laughs> and um, I didn't really have a job, you know, any idea what to do work-wise. And uh, my friend uh, was, I think, substituting at the time, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you should just get your sub license. It's a good kind of way to figure it out. You know, have something to do while you know you're trying to figure out where you're going." And I, uh, you know, and he, he knows my personality. So I was like, yeah, I think you'd be good at doing it. And so I just went ahead and got my sub license. And uh, yeah, I, about a year into it, I was like, no, yeah, this is, I, I was really enjoying substitute teaching, you know, and I uh, was getting calls back, you know, called back from um, other teachers. And um, I was, you know, and then I just considered, wow, this could be maybe a potential career, you know, choice, because I enjoyed doing what I was doing. And uh 
felt I was good at it. And so I just went back and went through Sierra Nevada and got my license and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I just really enjoy working with kids. I guess not having kids and probably not going to have kids. It's a good way to get that kid energy. And because uh, I love kids, you know, they're, they're awesome to be around, um, you know, but not having any of my own, it kind of satisfies that uh, parent instinct, uh, I little, guess. A little urge. Mm hmm since they expect us to be parents. Um, yeah. How often do you get called dad? <laughs> Actually, I don't. You know, you, you'd be surprised. But, Especially uh, in Rita Cannon in the hood? It's probably happened once or twice, maybe, but <clears throat> no, not really. Uh. Um, I... I like being around kids more than adults. Uh, straight up, they're more fun. They don't take stuff as seriously. Work is pretty enjoyable 99% of the time. Um, it's fun to see kids learn. Um, it's a great paycheck for enjoying your job. And summers off are a huge perk. I like having time to reset from work. I don't want to do the daily grind. So when people ask me about it, it's like, I don't even lie. I, I love summers off. and. When I am working, I'm working 110%. I don't take days off and vacations during the school year. So I feel like I earn my summer, um, but it's just a fun job. And it feels really good at the end of the year when you see kids mature and learn. And then when you hear from them years later and see that they're doing well, or they come and tell you about the impact you made, it's really rewarding. And it's like a, equal to the paycheck, so. Yeah, I mean, I certainly enjoy watching kids like when they understand something for the first time. I really enjoy working with middle school kids. I love trying to push them outside of their bubble uh, and for them to start like thinking about other things uh, just at that age level, I think is great. Um, but I really wanted to be a role model. There aren't many Asian teachers. Uh, I think the national average last time there was a survey was like 2% in the nation, um, pretty passionate about trying to increase the amount of teachers of color we have in K-12 education. And like, that's really why I became a teacher. I wanted to be a role model, um, I'm Korean adoptee. I love being open about that with my kids. I love uh, just showing and being a model for the way families can be created outside of the traditional kind of norm. Nice. Yeah. I, always, <clears throat> I always knew I wanted to work with kids. Um, and so when I started college, I was like, all right, I don't know what level yet, but I know I want to work with young children. And then I started working on my college job in an infant room. And I was like, this is great, but that's not any good pay. <laughs> uh, and I just kind of worked my way up from infancy through kindergarten and found my little niche in pre-K. And it's, yeah, it's definitely never a dull moment. They keep me on my toes. I don't, like, I think the biggest thing too from distance learning is I had to buy a chair cushion because I don't know how to sit for this long. Like my body, I just <laughs> was like, why, how do people sit at a desk for so long? It sucks. Um, yeah. So, but you know, it's always fun. I get to do a lot of really fun things. I tell people I get paid to play. Like I play in Play-Doh, we play outside, we do imaginative play. So it's definitely fun, but the rewards are, are what keep me in it. The rewards of seeing the kids come back, um, you know, and say hi, or me getting repeat families and their families knowing that when they see me as their child's teacher, they get excited, like, oh, you had my older daughter, and now you get to teach my son, and I'm so excited. They're going to love you, too, so. Griffin? 
I think I try to, I want to try to answer this question in the context of the fact that I'm going back to teaching in a COVID related crisis time. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I believe that all the things that made me want to be a teacher are still possible and are still important. Like, I don't expect that I'll be doing anything like my usual job here in the fall, but I still believe that I can provide a space that feels safe and foster community and teach developing humans the literal fundamental language skills they need to understand and process and reflect on living in a time of crisis, right? So these are the things that for me, like, made me want to be a teacher, just like somebody gets to do the generational work of handing off how to understand things. And I think that's more important than ever in a time of crisis. Well, you know, I think if you listen to the podcast, I've explained many times why I became a teacher. But I think my favorite part of being a teacher is just watching kids grow and learn. You know, I have coached youth sports before I became a teacher and it's kind of that same process as uh, just coaching them up, watching them grow and uh, learn and better themselves and seeing the impact you can have on uh, on their lives. So I think uh, that's my favorite part of being a teacher. What is your guys' favorite part of being a teacher? Besides, you know, like, and it's underlooked and like with everything going on with cops in this country, I feel like it's underlooked the amount of power teachers wield over these kids' lives, but also shows you the what positive like outcomes can come like caesar always says use your power for good so whenever i see cops abusing their authoritative power over people it always reminds me of like as teachers we totally have the ability to do that to our students at any time but we choose not to because of the, the relationship between us and our students is different than the one that is shown between police and the community and i think that's one way that we can I think that policing can learn from our from our profession is to look at their role differently because they have so much power over the people they police. Just like we have so much power over our students. Like if you really wanted to, you could completely destroy and mess up a kid's life because you're going to be trusted because they lie and you know do stuff all the time. But you know, a Griffin saying he agrees with me, like we have so much power over their lives and for the vast majority of teachers to use it positively. And I know from working with all of you that I know TC and I take great joy in calling out shitty teachers. And I just don't understand why police don't do the same thing. Like I hate a shitty teacher makes all of our jobs harder when you're work sharing a building with them. And I hate it. And I absolutely despise and I, you know, and I'm honest with my students when they don't like a teacher, if that teacher is a bad teacher, I agree with them to validate their feelings because it gives me more credibility. And it also shows them that, yes, I agree that that teacher is shitty and probably shouldn't be teaching, but you still have to do what they say. But that's just my little sidebar tangent. Mm -hmm. What are your guys' favorite, what's the favorite part of you guys teaching? Uh, go, I'll go. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, 
it's those little moments when, you know, uh, you get that note from a parent or, you know, even a kid, you know, I mean, third grade is a little hard cause they, you know, um, sometimes can't express themselves that way. Um, but yeah, just when you kind of see the impact and the parents, you know, when you do get that appreciation from the families and the parents, um, and or students still want to have a relationship with you years later. I mean, I think third is kind of like that, that age group where they start kind of retaining their experience in school. It's a great so, age. It's a great age. It is. I love third grade. I, you know, second was a little too needy for my taste, but um, third was great. But, you know, I think, you know, touching on what Jenna was talking about, I, you know, being of mixed race and, you know, looking like the population that I teach, I think it's, you know, kind of empowering to have that uh, influence and showing those kids that, um, you know, there can be teachers of color and, you know, our principal is a uh, Mexican American, you know, and that's, that's amazing. I, I love that we have that diversity, you know, and starting to see it at an admin level as well. Um, so I just think it's super important to um, be that kind of role model and, um, you know, kind of connect with them on a certain level. And, you know, I think I have the ability to understand a lot more of where they're coming from being a little younger and being more in tune with um, just society. You know, uh, I think some teachers, you know, like you said, shitty teachers um, just are disconnected from their, you know, what their populations are and the cultures and everything. And I, I think, you know, I've always been pretty understanding and, um, you know, willing to learn more about the you know, the families I serve and finding those connections. And you think you know. as a person of color, it's easy. Cause I used to think it was because I was young, but I'm not young. I'm almost 40 years old yeah. and I still connect with my students, you know, better than teachers way younger than me. And I think it's, you know, as a person of color, you're used to engaging in spaces that aren't necessarily yours or, you know, uh, designed for you do you think it makes you more adaptable and easier to connect with your students because of that experience oh yeah definitely yeah i mean i just think because of the background i have i mean i can speak you know i mean my spanish is really rusty but i can you know understand spanish pretty well um you know i can kind of I can get enough of it to understand what's going on but you know i'm not you know i'm not hispanic i'm you know i'm uh, half filipino um but you know even having that asian like kind of background um you know, help some of that population of those kids at the school. Cause we do have a, you know, decently high, um, you know, population of like Tongans and Samoans and stuff. Um, so yeah, it just feels good to be able to blend in and kind of be that person, you know, um, kind of forgot exactly what your question was. Well, but. I think the students are able feel more comfortable. Yeah, I, I really do. And I think being a male, too, I think it gives them a different perspective because there are not a lot of males in the elementary. So there's, there's more now. But I, I mean, I'm one of a very few. So I think even seeing a male at a in an elementary school setting is nice for the kids because they get excited when they have a male teacher because it's not normal, you know, and, uh, you know, but then you get thrown with the whole like, oh, this this kid needs a male teacher because they're right. more which I think is utter bullshit. Like I'm, I'm, my discipline is way more lax than <laughs> some of the you know, cohorts, cohorts I have, you know, I'm like, no, throw them in that class. They're going to get, they're going to get, you know, disciplined. I, I would have teachers ask me about black students that I didn't even know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You're like I would literally be like, I don't know who that student is. And they would ask me like how to deal with that. I'd be like, why are you asking me how to deal with someone I don't even know? Yeah, I just um, wanted them to say. I just wanted them to say because because you're black. I was black. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
You know, right? You know, you know. PC's seen it. Uh, I've, I've been in conversations with you when somebody walks up and I'm like, that's that's racist. Come on. Uh, Amanda, what's your favorite part of teaching? I think my, my favorite part of teaching is just like uh, the positive feedback I get it. Like um, when I was in field ecology, I got um, all kinds of like uh, I would work on a paper all summer, do collect data, and then like finally it'd get published. And that was my one feedback of positive thing. But in teaching, I see it every day. I see a kid learn something, kid behave better, kid say something nice, treat a kid well. So just like the feedback and it's just like, I feel the impact of my job where I didn't when I was working in the field of biology. Um, for me, my favorite part of my job is setting up my classroom. I take a lot of pride in that from my philosophy of teaching. I'm a Reggio inspired school uh, or classroom. And so I spend a lot of time like intentionally placing all of the objects, all of the furniture and everything with my students engagement in mind. And that's my favorite part. Um, but then the, the twinned with that, like I can't really pull them apart. I love doing it by myself, but it's even more uh, powerful when I get to do it with my students once we're in the classroom. So once they come in and they get to start using the areas and playing in different spots and I'll notice like they haven't touched this one area and I'll you know, kind of interview them on what we should put there and why they're not playing with it, what they want in their own classroom, what they want to see. And then when I get that part of it, and then it truly becomes our classroom and they have a piece in it, and then they'll know, and they'll tell anybody who walks in there, I put that there. That's mine. I did it. This, I put it there. Like they have so much pride. And so just getting to see that ownership and pride that they kind of helped me create for them is my favorite part. What about you, Griffin? Um, for me, it's also a light bulb moment. I think somebody said Eureka moment. Um, I like to, I like that too, but it's like really specifically kind of builds off what you were saying, Sean. For me, my favorite part of my job is when I'm dealing with a student and they're like asking for something or like need a favor or like turning in something late. And then they just, they have that moment where they realize I'm not going to treat them poorly, that I'm not going to like be a hard ass that there's other ways of handling authority than like trying to guilt and shame people. So for me, like my favorite part of that job is when I get to be flexible or forgiving and just really demonstrate to people that there are other ways of being in charge. Cause I feel like my students are getting kind of like what you're saying, just like, like kind of bullied by their communities, by their teachers, by whoever all the time. That's a good point. You know, the school I work at now, most of my students are turned off to the education process. A lot of our students come straight from, uh, you know, correctional facilities. A lot of them are in outpatient programs, you know, various different kinds of programs. So I think, um, I mean, you guys know me, like I've dealt with problem kids. I've done, you know, discipline and stuff. And I'm a very strict teacher, but I think they know that I'm also extremely fair and willing to take things on a case-by-case -case basis. And I think that helps even in the school I'm at where the students are more, you know, they're better behaved in my classroom and I hold them to a higher standard. But at the same time, I also cut them more slack than their other teachers when it comes to certain things. And I think it just, go, you know, it just, it's a different way, like you said, Griffin, of interacting with them and showing them that, you know, you can be empathetic, but still hold them to high standards.
and you can, you know, give them second chances and cut them slack, but still, you know, have classroom discipline and good classroom management. And I think, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's gotten cliched at this point, but, you know, like at every school I've worked at, you know, to always have kids who are awful to other teachers and I never have a problem with them. It just, you know, it, it validates your approach and how you work. Like I know like TC and I, you know, when we worked in Jenna, like we worked together and we would have kids who would never be a problem for us. And, you know, I would be shocked to hear how they acted in other classrooms. And it just goes to show you the difference, you know, your approach, your personality, and, you know, how you treat the students can have an effect on them positively. And I think that's the thing that students remember the most. You know, it's not what, what you teach them, it's how you, you know, make them feel, to paraphrase that Maya Angelou quote. Um, and that's the most uh, impact you're going to have on their lives. You know, they might not remember anything you ever, you know, teach them how to do. But they'll remember how you made them feel in your classroom every day when you're interacting with them. Um, has your outlook on teaching changed long term due to the way the public has kind of reacted to to COVID, but also like COVID, you know, and. Uh, the education profession seeing us as babysitters has that changed your guys's um, long-term view of the teaching profession? I don't think that has changed it. I think seeing all of the ways, even though they were pretty, you know, last-minute scramble attempts to try to level the playing field uh, for students and try to address a lot of the inequities that we have in society, um, I think really changed my viewpoint as to what can actually be done. So in terms of um, really putting socio-emotional needs first, really like making sure that students had, you know, food security, like Samantha was saying earlier, or that they really truly had like check-ins with people from staff or that you know, that we were trying to provide technology for kids, like stuff that we haven't been able to do, right? Or we've been told we're not able to do, like my school wasn't a one-to-one -one school before this. And then all of a sudden, like we scrambled to try to get every kid a device, hotspots, internet companies saying, oh yeah, sure, you can have free internet for, you know, a couple months or something like that. Canceling of standardized tests. I think that has really shifted my view of what is actually possible when, People want to do something? Yeah, I, I guess so. All it is is a desire, right? It, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. So, I mean, and that, yeah, that, that's how my view of education has changed. And that's the one thing that I wish moving forward that we would continue to have that, that perspective and that viewpoint. I don't want to go back. I don't want to regress and lose mm -hmm. kind of some of the progress we've made in these areas. I think that's extremely important for the state of education. Because I think that's... Yeah, I've been the SDL lead for the last four years at my schools. And, it, you know, I remember making lessons to do for the for teachers. Like we would make lessons each week and being completely ignored and no one doing them. So I just wonder how, you know, if this if that's really what people believe, I want to see it when things go back to normal before I actually take their word for it, because this isn't anything new. Like it's been 
a priority of the Washoe County School District for several years, and there's been like very little support for it. So I, I'm interested to see as that goes. But Jenna, specifically for you, as you've moved into admin, how has your perspective of the profession and teaching changed? I, yeah, I mean, I never really set out to be <laughs> administration. It kind of <laughs> happened. And I'm, I, I am happy that I'm in the role that I am in because what I really like doing right now is supporting teachers, right? Like, obviously, students are the reason why I came into the profession and, like, being in a building, I get to see them every day. And, like, my direct work with teachers and how I support the other people in my building will really change, like, their, like our students' experience, I think, firsthand. Um, and I would say... I mean, we, we went through a strike last year in Denver. Like, we, we've just had a couple of, of, of tough years. Um, I, I get all of the tensions. I get the deintellectualization that we were talking about earlier. I get, um, you know, that parents are frustrated. I, the, the capitalist, like, angle of everything that we're talking about, right? Like, of the teachers having to go back so students have a place to be so parents can work. Um, I mean, that is, that's a huge tension, right? So like when we say that parents want to use, you know, schools as babysitters, like I don't really know if that's truly the aim. I think, again, we're all under this system that like forces us to be, you know, and act in certain ways. And so I think that's, that's a scary thing. Um, And I think that's a difficult thing. It's a good point to point that out though. Like I have a friend that, you know, him and his wife teach in Vancouver and he's from the United States. And, you know, they were able to go back to teaching at the end of May last year because they were able to shut down their country without having pressure to open up because the government gave everyone money so that people didn't have to worry about going to work or, you know, sending their kids to school when it was unsafe. And now they're going to open up schools, you know, in a couple of weeks, completely normal, without, you know, because the virus is under control there. So I think, you know, people miss that point in the, you know, because they don't want to focus on these larger issues. But these, this is the reason these larger issues impact us. These are the ways they impact us is that, you know, the United States is the only country that is facing these problems because of our lack of a national response and support for our citizens, where you have people, you know, under pressure to go back to work when it's clearly unsafe to do so because their government isn't, you know, and it's not a handout. Like it's your goddamn tax money that they're giving to you. So, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show, but this is just another area where, you know, the unintended consequences of your political beliefs are affecting your daily life and people in America are not aware of it. And it's, there's literally hundreds of other countries that have a different example of how this can be handled. Yeah, The Atlantic uh, just had a really good article, too, about how to safely return back to schools. And they, you know, cited some of those other countries that, you know, the government really, you know, gave out money and did all of these things, exactly what you're talking about. And that's how, you know, the United States could really work towards a better reopening, although it might be a little late at the moment. I mean, I think the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. How about the rest of you? Have you guys' perspectives changed? I kind of wanted to add kind of what um, Jenna was saying, like, I feel that my perspective hasn't really changed too much, but I feel that in light of the perspective of other people not in education on education has pushed me to become much more of an advocate for my role. Like, 
pre-K has been teaching hand washing and, you know, SEL and how to share and how not to kick people. Like we've been doing that since forever. And that's always been my role as an educator of young children is to teach them how to be a productive member of society. And now that that's being pushed on other places in education, now that other teachers are being forced forced to teach SEL and asked to implement, you know, trauma-informed care into their practice, I'm kind of like, wait, you haven't been doing that? Like we, that's been part of my education of my students forever. And so I feel like I've been trying, I've become much more of an advocate in pushing the importance of this stuff, as well as the importance of setting that foundation at an early age, so that by the time those children get to middle school, high school, or even later elementary school, they have a foundation of understanding how to work with others and how to be collaborative and how to be polite. That that's when the ac academics can come in. You don't have to like restart every year with a new group or with, you know, with a new kid as if they've never heard it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our, our school has been doing a pretty good job with SEL just to add to that. Um, you know, I think, the implementation of SEL is important. Um, but yeah, my, I, I don't know. I mean, I still, I don't think this has changed too much. Like you said, it just kind of, um, what's the word, just kind of made things look, you know, on a bigger scale of the problems that we face as teachers, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, personally, I, I don't know. I, I'm always thinking though, with just all this is like, do I see myself you know, finishing my career as a classroom teacher, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of playing with that. Like I was talking to a friend the other day about that, if this is something I want to continue doing. Um, not that I, I don't, I love it, you know, but I, I'm always going to be in education. I'm just, you know, is there a different angle I can take at some point, you know, like being one of those people that travel and, um, you know, share a technique or something that I've learned over the ages that I think is, you know, impactful because I'm always trying to think outside the box. I mean, and, you know, that's a scary thing with education is they're putting us more into a box and not letting us venture outside of the box. Um, but I hope, you know, we could be advocates for that and just, you know, um, take back the powers teachers and, you know, them trusting our um, ability to create, you know, effective, fun, engaging curriculum. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, very uh, uncertain with everything. Um, yeah, there's that. I just kind of want to echo what Sam was saying about becoming an advocate and just more putting my neck out there. At first I thought I would just like, oh, if teaching gets really bad, I'll just quit. And that's how I'll put pressure on the deciders is just make a teacher shortage. But I'm so far into this, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to be an educator <laughs> forever, I think. Um, but I have to be a strong advocate for science and I find myself like getting in stupid Facebook arguments and Instagram <laughs> arguments over just basic science. And that's the one thing that like all of this has like really forced me to think is like, I have to stick up for science. It's like, I hate getting in those dumb arguments, but shit, hopefully some, like, I don't think I'm going to change the person's mind I'm arguing with, <laughs> but hopefully somebody else reads it and is like, Oh, this guy has a good point. And he's arguing with an idiot. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where I come in though. As, mm -hmm. as a science teacher, how does the average person's basic of lack of knowledge, <laughs> scientific method make you feel? Oh, <laughs> dude, that, the, the 
the changing of the mask when they first said masks weren't effective and then everyone just blanketly sticking to that. It's like, no, the nice thing about science is we correct misinformation. And then they're like, oh, they're just out to do it. And I was like, do you know how you get famous in science is like you disprove the smart guy or the guy that's in charge. So it's like, they just don't understand that like the whole point of the scientific method is like to eliminate misinformation. And the way you get famous and move up in the ranks is by disproving people. They just don't understand that basic part of it. And it drives me insane. Do you think it's because people, normal people don't like to be disproven wrong? Uh, I think it's part of that. And I think people, it's just confirmation bias. People want to believe what they want to believe. It's just like watching Fox News to hear what you want to hear or like Googling the answer for for the answer that you want, not the question that you have. (laughs) So it's just, I don't know. It's kind of a sign of the times. Like I like to be corrected. I want misinformation removed. I want to be the the most useful and the most intelligent I can be. But a lot of people dislike being told that they're wrong and don't have that mindset of like, oh, at least I'll be right from now on. They're like, no. So I it's frustrating. That's why we need more critical thinking, logic and reason taught mm. at earlier age. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So that, you know, people don't have that mind. Like a growth, it's basically what you're describing is a growth mindset. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, people don't want to have, they have that static mindset. And I think teaching logic, reason, scientific method, inquiry, at a super young age is the way to foster that growth mindset. Just bringing all that liberal thinking into the school, Sean. <laughs> uh, but I want to yeah. believe, I want to believe Plato, Earth is flat. Because Plato and Aristotle were such, you know, crazy liberals yeah. 2,000 years ago, you know, 2,500 years ago when they first came up with these, hmm. like, you know, that's the thing. It's like, these aren't political beliefs. Like this is stuff that's been debated for the entirety of humanity's existence. And, you know, we've known about it for 2000 years, yet people still don't want to learn from it. Like, I mean, come on. Just funny that they just, you know, started attacking teachers during the time that schools were, they were thinking about, you know, the reopening phases and all that. And they're like, oh, well, these liberal institutions of teachers are, you know, not teaching these kids to, you know, love America, believe in Columbus. Well, then they could they could stay home and you could teach them, right? Well, schools, you know, yeah, like they expect schools to indoctrinate them the same way they were indoctrinated instead of, you know, liberating them and teaching them how to think freely. Exactly. And that's all education (laughs) is. And they're attacking us on that now because it's like, oh, we'll just let them go back to school. Let's let the teachers die. We don't care about them. Yeah. How quickly we went from teachers are the most important. I take it back. I'm so sorry. You deserve everything, blah, blah, blah. How quickly we left that train of thought is terrifying. Well, you shouldn't have been surprised because people started protesting against doctors and nurses as soon as the fucking shutdown became inconvenient. <laughs> so if they're not going to a fucking doctor, why would they care about us? They don't respect our profession at all. <laughs> like, when you see you know videos of people yelling at nurses about how they're, you know, actors in this in this pandemic you know what that you knew they were going to come for us next nobody is safe no not in in this anti-intellectual environment nobody is safe in the world of idiots what are you going to do only the dumbest are safe (laughs) or dead (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, well thank you guys for participating in the panel we're going to we're going to switch gears and, a little bit, right? Yeah, and ask you guys kind of to share your more general experiences 
in the uh in the in the lockdown we've been going through if you uh if you can't stay we understand but um we were going to talk about some of some i'm assuming like me you guys have been binging tv a lot (laughs) or just been you know binging streaming services so one of the things well the show i've been stuck on thank you samantha is queer eye (laughs) you guys have to watch the new queer eye it is it's fucking crazy like First of all, we all need to, all the teachers need to be like Karamo and just build up their students. Like, yes, it is life-giving, Griffin. Give It's just, it, watching that show is going to make me a better teacher just because of how they treat other people. And, uh, you know, it's powerful to see the uh, the representation they have and the impact they're having on people's lives. It's crazy. Like, every episode brings tears to your eyes. It, it's It's insane. It's insane, like how much good they're doing in that show. I don't. It gives me hope for humanity, literally. Watch fucking Queer Eye on Netflix, people. <laughs> Great show. Great show. Uh, am I, uh, I'm gonna get into season, it. I'm on season three right now. I haven't seen the new season, but I think I've seen all the seasons up until the new season. Hmm. So that's that's what I've been watching, Caesar. Uh, on another positive stuff, uh, Down to Earth with Zac Efron. He goes to like different parts, different parts of the world and starts um, thinking about the environment and things like that. Like he went to Iceland and where they uh, get all their power, like the whole country gets their power from thermal energy and things like that. They go they go talk about the bees and they go and just like they go into the jungle and all the medicine and how the, everything gets torn down. And they do like worldly environmental issues and they go to different parts of the world and. The, him and the guy who did like Superfood, who wrote that book, Superfood, um, him, they go together and adventure the world and, you know, seeing stuff about the environment. I didn't know it was envir- there was an environmental focus no. on that show. No, I didn't either. I didn't know Zac Efron had it in him, but he does. Good for him using his powers for good. See? See? Good. And, uh, they, dude, it's... handsome man bringing... bringing environmentalism to the masses mm-hmm. and like they go to they do awesome things so it's a it's a good series to watch the lady and i binged it in one day so it was pretty good mm-hmm. <laughs> any other shows or anything else you guys have been watching that have been uplifting during these trying times yeah i can rep something um so like i use like most media as kind of like a mood altering or self-soothing thing and so I've really, because things are so dire, I've been looking for comedy that I can appreciate. And my problem with comedy in general is that it always seems to be at somebody's expense. Like, this is a show where we make fun of blank, basically. This is why I can't get into stand-up. But, like, I discovered recently that I really enjoy body humor, uh, like physical humor. So I, I started watching The Floor is Lava. And then after The Floor is Lava was over, I started watching – they have another show on Netflix called um, – like ultimate beast master. And so the whole, it's hilarious. The whole show hinges around the fact that it's funny to watch professional athletes or random people just take face plants into things. And so like that cracks me up. And that's the number one thing I've been watching lately. Uh, the floor is lava. I haven't watched that, but I've seen the, and I was just like, I mean, what am I seven year old shopping with my mom in the grocery store? Yeah. Because that's, it sounds hilarious, mm-hmm. and I kind of I, I haven't watched it, but I kind of want to watch it just for the premise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. 
Anyone else have anything that they wish to share to people who watch? Uh, the one that just came out today is Connected by Latif's Noster. He's an NPR guy. It's uh, all about science and connecting different parts of the, the earth to our everyday life. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do right after this is watch that. What's that on? <laughs> uh, Netflix. It just dropped today, I think. Oh, snap. I'm about to get some science black holes and shit. Yeah, it, it looks really good. He talks about poop and clouds <laughs> and data. It's like, it looks really good. And he, I think he's on... This American Life or Radio Lab is one of the mm. two. He does a really good job, and he's just uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Dude, I'll... what is it? Connected. Next. So it's with a uh, lot of Nasser. He did a really good uh, special podcast. There's another lot of Nasser that's arrested in Guantanamo Bay right now, and he's already been okayed to be released by the Obama administration, but Trump won't release him. And it's like this whole long thing, but he's like the only other lots of Nasser he's ever heard of. So he does interviews with him and meets other people. And it's a really good podcast special. Hmm. Connected. Yeah, I'm, I'm horrible about watching programs. So, um, I mean, there was a few seasons of things that I started with Jamie and we would uh, follow up on it, like in the dark, I think um, had to, we were watching that, um, season but um i've just been collecting records and listening to a lot of music and work on a lot of your instagram and black and black and white art <laughs> yeah man I'm, I'm, I'm trying some artsy stuff I'm, watch I'm out caesar watch out. He's, he's, he's coming after me he's coming after me <laughs> now, you're, you know I was, I was gonna actually do a little series of all the, the cool photos you took of uh myself and over the <laughs> over the ages I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using this as a thematic um, yeah now so just to keep myself entertained and because i've been going on a lot of walks and i've just kind of realized like i should be kind of like you know taking time to stop and admire the surroundings and i know that's what you're all about caesar just yeah really like awesome in the eye on the street so yeah. I, I you know and my every, mom was a photographer too so i think yeah. it's a little bit my blood but uh i'm not trying to like compete or nothing i yeah. just like i'm just trying to keep myself in the smoke caesar with a different artistic um, outlet it's just it's just everyday life is poetic you know it's awesome yeah it's just fun it's fun to kind of have something in mind when you go out in the, in the world of this crazy time and so, find, uh, you find a lot of quirky stuff when you keep that third eye open that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to monica she actually hit me up to make sure you're okay Ian, when you change your <laughs> she was like is Ian all right <laughs> i was like i think so and then i read your bio i was like oh he's just Switching changing it, it to be because you deleted all your old stuff so she was like oh is he okay is everything all right yeah no i just i don't know yeah i, I mean I'm, i don't know if i am all right <laughs> but uh i've just tried to keep myself a little more entertained in a different way i just i'm getting i'm getting sick of social media i i, I almost want to just be done with all of it and I figure if I if I need to be connected with people, I'm just gonna like output my energy in a different way and not post a bunch of political things and you know be on my soapbox. Like I'm, I'm making a lot of music right now. I'm writing again, so I'll speak through that stuff. You know, that's originally why I got into you know music and poetry is like that's my platform for you know talking about what's in my weird head. <laughs> <laughs> Else? all right well, we'll take our second break uh my song of the week i discovered this song by accident you know i was preparing for the radio show i was looking up uh, james brown's famous song uh, say it loud and i came across this song by trinidad james mm -hmm. featuring i hide the prince and big crit it's called say it loud 
this is Black Excellence. Uh, so listen and uh, and enjoy. And we'll be back in a moment. All right, tell him. Sean's song of the week and it was uh, Say It Loud by Trinidad James featuring Sahai the Prince and Big Creep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I discovered that song yesterday morning and uh, it just uh, it hit hit my heart. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and like we were talking on the break, salute to Trinidad James being on that 
uh, complex show, full size run. Like I love watching those guys. They crack me up, talk about sneakers and they just talk shit on each other. And yeah, but Trinidad James has been coming back into my radar as of late. Yeah, I feel like this should be the new marching songs for people protesting. Like big crits verse, uh, dro- a lot of dro- dropping a lot of knowledge and uh, just sharing what's uh, in a lot of people's hearts right now. So yeah. salutes to uh, the three of them in that song. Yeah, like Psy High and Big Crit usually heavy in bars anyways, you know? And then so Trinidad James adding that little sabor to it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the final segment, we have our meandering questions. So uh, these have been updated. Some of them are specific uh, to teaching, but most of them just in general, how life has been for you these last, I forgot how many months since. Uh, are <laughs> since we on three now? Going on three or four? So in general, uh, what's one thing you've been doing to pass the time during uh, social distancing measures? Anyone can answer. <laughs> I already, I already kind of answered. Walks and collecting weight. Too many records. Black and white art. And making, making music. I've been producing and <laughs> mixing down music. So just music, music, and walks, and pretty much it. Yeah, I bought a mountain bike and been doing that a little bit. And then how much did you spend on your mountain bike, TC? Just for an inside joke. Seven hundred and fifty bucks. That's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. And you're in Still Denver. You're in Denver. There's a there's a lot in Denver to mountain bike. Yeah. Well, and definitely have the worst mountain bike out of the group that I mountain bike with. So they're always like, "Why'd you buy such a cheap one?" I'm like, "Cause I'm a teacher." You got to do baby steps. <laughs> like this is what I tell people who want to get into bicycles. I'm like, "You don't need three thousand dollars. Like, who knows if yeah. you're gonna love it? If you love it, cool. Like, there's you could put all your money Where's into it." Work your way up. Yeah, but you still just take a little baby. Seven hundred bucks is good, you know. Teacher salary. That's so, that's good. Mm-hmm. And so between mountain biking and audiobooks, that's a big part of my life right now. Do you audiobook as you mountain bike? No, no, I'm not that cool yet. <laughs> I, I'm like scared to death half the time I'm mountain biking. So I'm trying to keep up with all these guys with their thousand dollar bikes, and I'm like out of shape and on the worst bike. So I'm just slow. They're nice though. But but just just think if you catch up with them with a shitty bike when you step up next time you're gonna be flying past them listening to a book. <laughs> uh, been, oh, go ahead, Samantha. Oh, I was just saying, I've been doing um, some puzzles, one of my favorite pastimes. Um, some DIY projects like Sean was saying, some stuff around the house, and then also walks. Now that I live in a beautiful area to walk around. More inclined to do longer walks, <laughs> except for when it's hot as balls outside. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Did anybody else get into house plants? I bought a bunch of house plants. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> Samantha, Samantha and I have, I've lost track. She just got like six house plants the other day. Literally, Thursday <laughs> just got like six house plants. I was like, yes, four. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I did a lot of uh, yard work and cleaning at the beginning of all of this. I think I spent uh, the first three or four days <laughs> that we were on that extended spring break just clearing leaves and stuff out of our yard, and it took for forever. So no, no house plants for me. <laughs> but uh, cooking, um, walks, exercise, reading, those types of things. A lot of like Zoom happy hours at the beginning of this, but they've mm-hmm. kind of dwindled. Yeah. Just because screen time's a 
pain. <laughs> what about you, Griffin? Um, man, I want to I want to second everything that has been said about bikes. Like I have a I have a steel frame Bianchi from the '90s that Ooh. I rebuilt from the frame, and it cost me like a hundred and fifty dollars. And my hobby in life is just to like cruise past some guy in a spandex suit with my like fat sweaty body on my ancient bike and just like wave condescendingly. This is my whole thing. Um, I love so, that. I love that. that <laughs> he's probably, he's probably like a doctor. A That's why he's probably a doctor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned to bake this, this time though. Like uh, sourdough it turns out is really easy to get into and I encourage all of you to look into it. Um, so I do that all the time and I bike and I started reading junk food books again, like, um, because I've been in grad school, I've been reading lots of like 1200 page compendiums on, you know, the knowledge. Um, but I just started reading like really pulpy fantasy again, like the stuff I was really into when I was a literal teenager. That's just like quick and easy and disassociative. So that's what I've been up to out here. Nice. I've, been, uh, I've gotten into cooking. We we have we we got at one point we had two different meal subscription services, so we were literally cooking uh, like one at least one meal a day from a recipe. But uh, yeah, we've been doing a lot of cooking. We started composting, <laughs> so, uh, doing that, and uh, I got into this game City Skylines where you design. Uh, like cities in super realistic ways, and I've just been mastering that. Uh, because you know, maybe I have a second career as a city planner in the future. I don't know, or civil or city engineer, civil engineer, civil engineer. Yeah, uh, we had a uh, dinnerly in every plate. We stuck with dinnerly though, Ian, because uh, they have a, a wide variety of uh, recipes and they have more seafood options. Okay, yeah, Jamie and I have been doing a sun basket uh, three times a week. Um, so it's been pretty good. I mean, she she's mainly vegetarian. We uh, She eats a little fish, so it's a good subscription to have for that. Yeah, my cooking, my cooking skills have gone through the roof. Samantha is still is a much better cook than me, but <laughs> I'm learning a lot. And uh, now that we live together, I have a lot more uh, cooking utensils and tools that I didn't have before and wouldn't have bought before. So... Uh, Combining our powers has, has been great. Yeah. yeah, I've been seeing you on the IG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The internet tells us everything. We're gonna start a cooking channel on YouTube, and she'll she'll cook for like experts, and then I'll cook for, for the like average, the average who doesn't know how to cook for the yeah. bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah, for like the guys who, like, I don't know, they're gonna have to step up. Like, I don't think they have, you know. Uh, what the a garlic you know a garlic press or uh, some of the things we have we have an air fryer now she, she's been doing a lot of research on air frying so we've been experimenting with that we also have a garden all things you know yeah. trying to be productive yeah i just been you know bike riding again like super early while the baby's asleep and the lady's asleep because like my baby's one so she likes to wake up early too and so i'm um, i'm at like the skate park or riding you know passing on my big boy bike passing doctors at like six in the morning, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I woke up early this morning and I saw you and Ricardo are already out there. I was like, look at these dads getting up early on a Sunday <laughs> to go bike riding before their kids are away. You, you have to like, um, who was, I was talking to yams and he was just like, the only time you have to yourself is really early or super late. That's it. 
you know, to watch the, your, the movie you want to watch and you've been trying to watch or something, you know? And um, so I, I go to, I kind of go to sleep relatively early, I guess, but yeah, I'm up at like six usually every day anyway. So six thirty, seven o'clock, I'm out and getting that cool air. Been reading a lot of books. Um, I just bought the Bobby Hundreds book that uh, it's not just a t-shirt. Talks about his, the guy who um, owns the Hundreds. And then uh, I'm trying to finish up my Jeter book I got going on right now. So that's a lot of reading, bike riding, and the baby keeps me busy. <laughs> What's your guys' favorite streaming service right now? Uh, Hulu was early on. I watched a bunch of Atlanta and a few other shows on Hulu. And the commercials like were nice. They gave me breaks, so I got up and didn't just sit in the living room all day. So right. at first, I hated the commercials. And now I'm like, oh, no, it makes me get up <laughs> and do other stuff. So It's like a regular show. Yeah, and Hulu had Parasite on it. Oh, my God, that movie is so good. We need to watch that. Oh, yeah. it's on. It like went right to my top three. It is so good. Nice. Oh. Nice. Pro tip, Bong Joon-ho, the director of that film, yeah. most of his films are on Netflix, and I watch them all this summer. He does a particularly good one that's an adaptation of a Murakami short story called Burning that's, like, really incredible. But, yeah, like, like search by director, you'll find a bunch of his films, and they're all that good. Okay. Perfect. Anyone else? Smith, I know you've been watching a lot of YouTube. Yeah, for, you know, home DIY. <laughs> That's what the lady does, too. <laughs> yeah, have a lot of YouTubers. And coincidentally, maybe not. They're, like, pretty much all Canadian. But they're great. I recommend it. Yeah, there is, a, British. There is a lot of Canadian YouTubers. Oh, yeah, they're in boat company. Thanks to Mike. You want to fall down a rabbit hole of some guy building, like, a 108, you know, 50, like, I think it's, like, a 48-foot yacht. Watch the Samson Bow Company videos. There's like 77 of them. It will take you a while. I learned, I know so much about old fashioned boat building now. I'm woodworking. So this is the mic for putting us onto that because <laughs> yeah. I, last, the last thing I thought I would be was watching a fucking British boat builder restore a 105 year old yacht during quarantine. Uh, but it, it's like, I, I love all the videos. I, I follow him on Facebook now. <laughs> Jenna, do you have anything that you guys have been watching? Uh, has anyone seen Dark? It's on Netflix. So it was the first German Netflix production. Uh, hmm. It came out maybe about two years ago, maybe a couple. I don't know. Really, really good. It's probably the best television show that we've ever seen. Like, it's like wow. that level of good. And the third season just came out, third and final season. So they were only slated to do three. And the first season is just such a mind trip. Like you really have to pay attention. Like we're looking at like charts and things like that before the next season starts just to remember all the characters and like who's who. And the third season was like, uh, the ending was decent, I'll say. I mean, it, I think it would have been hard to like end such a good series like in a really, really profound way. Um, but it's a really, really good show. That and uh, Killing Eve, it's probably like a, definite guilty pleasure i heard that was um, i heard that was good it is so fantastic it's not even funny like and it's a british produced show so it's like six or eight episodes a season and i think only three seasons are out but sandra O oh is amazing um it's super it's super violent <laughs> it's uh, about like assassins and things like that so if you you know 
I think it's a much more, it's a much better version than Alias. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's okay, I just watched yeah, right. TV for fun. That, that's <laughs> I mean, good then. That's good. For escape. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good because oh. anything BBC, their their production value is so high because yeah, good. because the government because you pay for it and <laughs> in, in the uk you pay for bbc so it's awesome production value good yeah one movie i forgot to mention we watched on netflix was old guard with Charlize theron mm-hmm. oh. i saw it was great yeah <laughs> i'll always love seeing or, some charlene out there yeah i feel like she's like the top three action stars right now she kills it for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Like, there's not that too many action stars, and she's definitely in the top three. Uh, next question. Uh, favorite places to order from your phone? Where are you guys getting food from? Um, we got a rotisserie chicken shop up the road that we've been eating way too often and then it's just delicious and easy and they have liquor and beer so i can get it all in one stop which is good because colorado does the liquor store thing so mm. it's really nice it's you don't want to say their name and give them a shout out uh, I, mean, it's, I don't i just noticed the chicken shop i don't even know let me pull it up <laughs> it's the chicken shop i think it's like chart or something chicken shop next to the chop shop <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of speedy burrito. <laughs> Dude, same. And, um, I love pub and, sub, pub and subs right up the street from me. I'm not doing it a whole lot, but when when we need pizza, that's that's the place to go. Um, but yeah, I've just been eating a lot of Mexican food, man. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. It's uh, called Chook on Pearl. So. Yeah. Chook. C-H-O-O-K. I guess it's how Australians say chicken. So, but the the head chef, I think, is like a James Beard award winner. He just like hated fancy restaurants and just wanted to open up a chicken shop once he got famous and successful. He's like, this sucks. So what about you, Smith? We've gotten breakfast a couple times at Joseph's, the bakery over on it's a that place is fantastic. I love that place. Um, their Benedicts are really good. That's how I, I, uh, I haven't had them yet, but they look good. Yeah, that's we how got their breakfast sandwiches. Mm-hmm. We accidentally got crepes one day. Those were not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, uh, for a breakfast place, you have to have the good Benedict. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Our other favorite place is new, but, uh, uh what is it spicy d's hot chicken crazy d's nashville hot chicken where's Uh, that at i love i love that place moana also i think like by that uh where that popeyes is like at the corner of virginia okay yeah it shares a shop with like a russian restaurant yeah, and that Russian yeah. restaurant's good too. They're, they're, okay. It's Russian owned and operated. Like the guys that run it are definitely Russian. Is that <laughs> the Blazar or whatever it's called? The, the, the Bazaar. I think so. I think mm-hmm. so. European okay. Bazaar. Yeah. yeah. The place is good. I haven't been to that side of town since I don't, you know, work from the office no more. So. But yeah. Jim, do you have a favorite place or Griffin? 
Uh, we try to do local. I mean, there's a really awesome ramen shop downtown called Tokyo. So that's really good. Uh, there's a good Thai place not far from us called U.S. Thai. Um, but really anywhere that's that's local, trying to support those types of businesses. We try to do once a week if we can. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm totally with Jenna. The question I keep asking myself is like, what businesses do I need or want to still be there after, mm-hmm. you know, this blows over if it does? Um, so like for me, I think it's um, my favorite bar, which is like owned by a friend of mine, The Glass Dye. Uh, recently mm-hmm. like moved to a really nice pickup model you can order online and stuff so like that's been kind of my my big pickup thing and they, they started doing a, like a movie night didn't they outside mm-hmm. they're doing yeah. that again mm-hmm. and watch a movie mm-hmm. yeah salute to jeff hopefully you'll be on the show soon yeah and also we got quacks get takeout from quacks because mm-hmm. it's the, and, uh, the the secret menu the duck fried rice yeah that is the best chinese food ever we got it last sunday and uh i have to like try not to eat all the food we get because <laughs> i will eat as much as there is because no. it's so delicious yes dude that... jt put me onto that duck fried rice dude duck, yeah no same thing with us yeah duck fried rice they're we like might have been together when that yeah, you guys did. We it was after the podcast yeah. with, with Jamal and Elzo. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we were all together. Yeah, but yeah, when I ask it, they're like, "You know about the secret menu?" And I was like, "Of course I do. There's no question about it." All right. Next question: Where's one place you've been going to the most with everything else shut down? I've been going to Reno Coffee uh, quite a bit to get coffee and look at their records <laughs> <laughs> which one is that where's that at like, wells and vassar mm-hmm. it's right up the street oh, from magpie okay. the same owner is the um blind dog tavern mm-hmm. yeah, tavern, yeah yeah um same owner and they open up a little bar next door um as well um but yeah just pour over coffee uh that you know um it's good. But, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah records but yeah their coffee's legit i got hooked on that so i was going there almost every morning doing a coffee <laughs> run get out of the house yeah I got... i've just been walking by the same neighbor's house every day like twice <laughs> a day like checking on their yard making sure the dog always barks at me like it's <laughs> creepy how much i know about my neighbors by walking by their house like two or three times a day <laughs> so that's really who's getting the most of my visits is like the people in my immediate one mile circuit uh-huh. i've been trying to change my walking paths because i thought like i like got into a habit of walking like the same like I just walk like Arlington to California and then like down like Humboldt but I always end up at Plumas Park and like chill there like at some point during my walk just like on the steps you know in the middle like there's there's always so much going on like that park's become so popular during shutdown yes like we went there the other night and there must have been like 30 dogs even though it's not a dog park yeah, it's wild. Well, Obviously, coffee and comics trying to support Alex mm-hmm. and uh, keep their keep their business going, even though I don't drink coffee. I mean, are they doing any sports in Reno? Like, is that park being used at practice at all? No, that's the, that's what I was telling Samantha. Normally, it's busy with soccer and and uh, football, so it's been taken over by all the dog lovers of Midtown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's. I've been going- 
No, and I uh, was speaking of dog lovers. That's how I know when a city is starting to get gentrified and turn. There's a lot of people with dogs. Because <laughs> it's and noticed, jogging. Because yeah, jogging with three wheeled no, strollers. Yeah, jogging and dogs. <laughs> because as you notice in the hood, nobody does that. I've been going to a two soul tea a lot with my friend on our walks. Mm. Uh, I forget exactly where it is, but yeah, it's, it's on Plumas. But we'll meet up halfway distance between our houses and walk over there. We've tried a lot of their tea at this point. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, I heard it was good. And they have like other stuff. They have smoothies, they have hot chocolate, they have a whole bunch of stuff besides tea. I remember that place. It was good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Yeah. It's like orange. Yeah. It's like that orange little mm-hmm. hut. <laughs> yeah. For uh, Plumas and uh, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think their address is like a half. They're like 2019 half. And a half. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Technically, they're between Marsh and, and, and California. California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know all the street names now because on my daily walks, just like <laughs> <laughs> walking down all these different streets around here. Yeah. Neighborhood like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. What's the thing you guys miss most? Um, just going out to eat with friends in person. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I do, really. <laughs> really safe to do it. Like that feeling that sense of safety and like comfort of going to meet a group of people yeah yeah the post ride beers in the parking lot like reminded me how much i miss getting happy hour drinks with colleagues or friends and like actually just seeing people and talking to people so yeah the zooms are a substitute for now but yeah it's seeing people in person mm-hmm. i miss uh just traveling i mean not that i travel a whole lot but every summer you know just as a teacher yeah. having that freedom to go out and having uh the ability to fly for free on american um i haven't been able to do that that's so you like humble brag yeah, yeah. No. Dude. how'd you pull that that's not a teacher gig no. uh, my, mom re- my mom retired from american airlines i'm her, her dependent so um, that'd be your plus one yeah dude. <laughs> no uh, let, let me be your partner i'm in yeah I, I'm taking guys, uh, <laughs> but now I got a, uh, you know, usually go down to Southern California at least, but I was going to go visit like our friend Marvin. I was, you know, hoping to catch up with him at some point. Shout out to Marvin, my literal brother from another. Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah I'm uh, trying to, cause he's, he's back in Minneapolis. Is he back in Minneapolis? I thought it was in New York. You know, he was in New York and then he went to Vegas, um, during the pandemic but he got like a another um, scholarship, what you, something like opportunity in Minneapolis uh, residency, I think. Damn, that's Caesar cool. I to go visit him, yeah. Like I, that was our- I really want to go to Minneapolis really bad. It got voted like Minneapolis, St. Paul area for bicycling like five years in a row, six, seven years in a row, best bike city or something like that. Yeah. So I think it'll be. Yeah, cool we had uh, several trips canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, supposed to go to the grand cayman with my family we're gonna go back east this summer and yeah i was looking forward to so much traveling this summer and yeah no. yeah I was the concert too yeah yeah 
Yeah, my first year of like having Red Rocks available. <laughs> the, best, the best concerts happen there. Yeah. It's just like everything's delayed till next year, so mm-hmm. they're all sold out. And like, I'm just like, oh, so it's gonna be like another year. So. Yeah, like I was gonna go to Singapore this year, visit my old college roommate, but you know, I have to wait till next year. The thing I miss the most though is just like happy hours at public house on Friday, just showing up knowing like Everyone's a bunch there, of yeah. every, people are going to be there and sitting out on the patio and being able just to walk down there and hang out and come home. Yeah. Not text anybody just like show up. Yeah. Not have, yeah, exactly. Not text people just show up because that's where, you know, you know, everyone was going to be on a Friday, you know, on a Friday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, still go home before like eight o'clock. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing I miss besides traveling okay so what's the first thing you guys are going to do when it's all over get vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) second thing man all you can eat sushi damn dude yes (laughs) yes we went to sushi pier yesterday because they have outdoor seating Oh yeah, you know I saw that when I was at Costco. It wasn't and you can do all you can eat out there. Yeah, I mean it was hot. It was like ninety eight degrees yesterday, but we still went and did it. Oh man, sushi. Might have to do that. But you know the comfortable sushi experience, (laughs) indoors with ventilation. The last place I went before this lockdown was was sushi. Like that Thursday before lockdown started, way back in March. I think I'm going to stay out ridiculously too late for an old man like me and be excited for last call. And (laughs) I'm going to push the limits. I'm going to chase the night, jump the shark, all of it. I can't wait. Uh, But yeah, Yeah, I feel like I'm going to do that. Someone's going to throw a big ass party somewhere and I'm going to go and get drunk. Yeah. Get get lit, as the kids say. And regret it the next day with my old man body. (laughs) Do they still say get lit? I don't know. It's in TV shows now, so probably not. So probably I haven't not. seen a kid in like seven, eight months now. So. <laughs> you don't know yet. Yeah. What about you, Griffin? I'm going to throw a big house party. Like, I spent most of my summer moving. Um, my partner and I bought a house. So, like, the thing that I miss, too, more than anything, is, like, having friends over, like, hosting groups of people. So for me, it's going to be about like getting to invite people into my home and not like freak out about it again. True. Mm-hmm. I, I I was couldn't wait to have a housewarming party, and we haven't been able to do that yet. Big same. I do miss the open mics too. You know, just I mean, usually you take a couple months off of summer, but just not having the spoken views back in check. I think we had a really good plan, so that kind of like. You know, we actually sat down and planned the whole season. <laughs> Got two months into it and just shut down. So yeah, I, did. Uh, I, was look, I was really looking forward to seeing how that would unfold. Yeah, going going to normal things like just normal routine. The movie theaters. Oh yeah. I miss going. Yeah. I miss going to movies all the time. Yeah, I usually went every week. That matinee Tuesday, five bucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> Five bucks. The lady and I just go on a date, like a little date night. That's good. Well, thank you guys again for mm-hmm. participating in this panel. I feel like it's been long enough. We should wrap it up. 
Uh, any last words anyone wants to say about teaching before we go? Pay me. <laughs> it's a hard job, man. Yeah. <laughs> Hope to see y'all next year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll be there. Thanks for having me on. This was a great time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, this is good. Well, uh, thank you guys for uh, participating. Remember, uh, you can uh, see our podcast, check it out uh, anywhere podcasts are consumed from Spotify to Apple Music, Stitcher, mm -hmm. Apple, Google Play, wherever. Uh, check Caesar and I out every Friday night at nine o'clock on Kwink 97.7 or kwinkradio.org for the best in two hours in hip hop you'll hear anywhere in the world. In the world, literally. <laughs> and remember to like subscribe and leave a review for the podcast if you are a first time listener on whatever platform yeah. you're listening on comment if you like us cool if you don't cool too so uh, hopefully we'll be back soon with uh, uh, more important insight into the crazy world we live in definitely so this is De La Foto salud until next time peace This is Michael O'Shea, a.k.a. the king of the two-day holiday. Pick this up from the boys, a.k.a. the passport killer. And I was just up in the mix, raw and uncut. Catch any of their witty banter on all your social media distractions, except the Twitter. I mean Twitter. Peace. Peace.